parts of the continent, wherever you're listening from, you all have places where you have seen your fellow uh, citizens being tortured, your fellow citizens being incarcerated, your fellow citizens being beaten. Unfortunately, in Africa, like the kind of torture, torture, uh, you know, scenarios that I've heard from different people. I mean, like the the different methods they use. Uh, you know, I've seen beatings. I've seen getting people, and of course, waterboarding, electrocuting, uh, putting uh, kilograms of weights on men's genitals. You know, and things of that sort. Burning people with tires and stuff like that. It's really sad. But <clears throat> gone are the days. You see, in the past, all these things they would talk about, and we could literally not see them in the public. Uh, like you could hear that such and such a dictator, you know, tortured people, is killing people. And the only media platforms we had during the days were the newspapers, uh, TVs, and radios. And the funny thing is that even when they printed these torture cases in newspapers, still it was just written material, but with no evidence of pictures and videos. When it came to TVs, they were just black and white. I remember in Uganda, our TVs would operate from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. You would then hear the national anthem playing when the TV when the TV was opening up, and then when it was closing, they would also play the national anthem. <clears throat> That's the only time you would watch TV. But still, to show that South and So has been tortured on TV, it was unheard of. Or you would hear someone was beaten, someone was killed, someone was you know it would just be hearsay. But the world has now changed, and with the changing technology. It is becoming really hard to hide such atrocities. It is becoming hard that it is becoming hard to hide corruption. It is becoming hard to hide all these sorts of atrocities that are impediments to good governance and rule of law as well as uh, democracy. Now, this brings me to the generation that we are in today. Ever since with the emergence of the internet, with the internet, even with the internet present, still. Such kind of things could not be easily uh, you know, put out there. The websites were there and stuff like that. But still, the expose of torture and the expose of these atrocities was not that effective and not everyone had access to internet. Two things changed. The emergence of the mobile phone. And not just a mobile phone as we know it today. Uh, sorry, the emergence of the mobile phone as we know it today. So what we are talking about is literally the emergency of the smartphone. Now, with the smartphone, we see the emergency of mobile apps. You see all these stages, yeah? You see this, because without the smartphone, it would be hard for us to have the apps. Without the apps, it would be hard, hard for us to have social media. <laughs> now, the thing about these uh, uh, innovations is that they have happened in the last 15 or 20 years. Like that is a very short period of time, meaning that the rate at which these technologies are growing is really, really high. Uh, the rate at which technologies are advancing. So with the, with, the, with, the, with, the, with the coming of the smartphone, it paved way to the coming of mobile apps. And among us, the mobile apps that we have today is we have Facebook, 
we have Twitter, we have Instagram, we have TikTok, we have YouTube, we have Telegram, we have WhatsApp, we have Signal. I mean, we have uh, Discord. All these media platforms have changed how uh, it has changed our ways of life completely. And it has also uncovered a lot in terms of governance that we would not have known. The reason as to why we people have now seen what is happening in, for example, Museveni's regime in Uganda that has been in power for 36 years and what he has been doing. What we are seeing today is that social media literally caught him unaware. And we are seeing all these things all of a sudden, the curtain has been taken down and we are seeing what has been happening in the background. Those of you who have been following Uganda, you know very well the war that happened in Northern Uganda. Now, just imagine if at all, during the war in Northern Uganda, we had social media. We would see the Buchoro massacre. We would see the Mukura massacre in Teso. We would see the massacres that happened at River Rizzi in 1879 when Museveni was still the Minister of Defense. Just as we saw the massacres in Kasese. Now, we are here talking about torture, definitely. And what is fascinating is, even with all this overwhelming evidence that is being put out there that Kakwenza was beaten, that Maseruka was, uh, he was, was, was you know, they used pliers on him, that Muslims are being beaten in, in, in jail cells, the Nar- in Narfenia, safe houses, and all this kind of stuff. Uh, it is, to me, it looks like these people are now getting used to these images even being put out there. Like, are they trying to, are, are they used that even when we expose these images, like they are not that bothered, they are not that uh, scared. Because having such an expose at times, I think it, it would send shockwaves in governments and they would be scared. But anyway, before I get my guests, uh, sorry, anyone who wants to say something on this issue, you can easily, you can send in the request and I will bring you in. And let me first make this particular introduction and then we can have a discussion. Now, what is interesting to me is the idea that um, so social media today is doing something that is completely different than what was, you know, that, 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 that like it is a tool that we have got that has amplified and eased the work of uncovering such kind of atrocities in different regimes across the continent of Africa. And what we see in Uganda today of people being tortured, people being beaten, now the world knows. Because back in the day, uh, people like Museveni and other leaders, they would go torture their own people, beat them up, uh, use weights on their genitals, uh, burn them with polythene, with plastic bags, uh, and, you know, do all these kind of things. And then they would go out there to Kenya, Tanzania, and be like, hey, Museveni is a hero, or so and so, such and such a leader is a hero. And then they would go to America or, you know, these Western countries, and people there who do not know these atrocities, they'll be, oh, this guy is a hero, he's a hero, you know. But now when they read these stories in, 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 for example, the Guardian or the Financial Times or the New York Times or the Council for Foreign Relations publications, and then you see Vice News, uh, you know, running uh, videos about these incidents that are happening, the drones and people are being captured in broad daylight, people are taken away uh, on the streets of Kampala, people are being arrested and beaten for just tweeting, for just even speaking about the regime in Uganda. Like literally they are being gagged in one way or the other. But now all of a sudden, these stories are out there. Everyone knows what is happening in Uganda in terms of torture. Everyone knows what is happening in Africa in terms of torture. Everyone is now seeing how we Africans, especially the so-called leaders of Africa, are even much are treating fellow Africans so badly that they, uh, I mean, 
this has no difference between the slave and the slave master. I don't think that people like you know dictators in Africa have a right to complain about slavery in America on how slave on how black people were mistreated. Because the mistreatment that the black people went through, it is what the continent of Africa goes through today, especially for those who have dissenting views from the leaders that we have today. That if you have a dissenting view, even if it is just in a tweet, you're going to be taken in a so-called safe household, for the case of Uganda, and beaten up through the use of things like the secret police, like the SFC in Uganda. I think Hosni Mubarak had one called the Mahabharat. Even Gaddafi had one called the Mahabharat and such, such sorts of things. Uh, you know, these people, they have these secret polices that they always, you know, have to, 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 to do these sorts of atrocities. And it is really giving a bad rap for we as Africans. It is really showing that it's Africans that are uh, impediment in terms of development and growth to themselves, you know? Because like, uh, the pictures that we have been seeing in Uganda today of people's back, there's a person who compared the picture of Kakwenza's back, a picture of a slave who was beaten and he developed these scars on his back, like literally his back like was full of scars and there is no way you could differentiate the two pictures, you know? So for me, that was uh, interesting. But as we, as we enter this particular era, you can see that social media has played a very critical role. And that is going to be the point of our conversation today. Because so many people have been saying that social media in Uganda, in Africa, you people are just on Facebook, you people are just on Twitter, you people are just on Instagram, you people are just on TikTok and all this kind of stuff. So in your opinion, for those of you who are coming to join the discussion, do you think social media has really done it in exposing or in the fight against torture? How do you think social media has changed on how people and the world view torture and, you know, these sorts of atrocities? Do you think that there is a very big difference between the past and present with the advent of social media and all these platforms? And how can we use uh, social media to get more, more and more tangible results to condemn and fight against torture in Africa? Ladies and gentlemen, uh, for those of you who would like to join the discussion, please uh, just send in the request uh, so that we can uh, kick off and start uh, ha having this particular discussion. Because, like, uh, I I've seen so many uh, Africans, uh, most Africans, we, we or Ugandans in particular, we all have this idea that we need to rise up, we need to, 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 to go to the streets and things like that. But all that takes preparation. All that means that you have to, you know, people have to be gathered, people have to be. Uh, you know, uh, hold on, let me, just a minute. People have to be, uh, just a minute, guys. People have to be, you know, they need a point of, gather, a point where they have to gather together and then, uh, you know, uh, express their grievances and then from that particular point they can organize. Because what we have seen in different countries like Lebanon, uh, we have seen it in countries like even Sudan, where people have been organizing on Twitter and Facebook and all these other platforms and then going out there in the streets. And we also see uh, platforms like Telegram. They have also been very, very crucial. Now, Telegram is not as, as popular in Africa, but other countries have uh, literally used Telegram to... Other countries have literally used Telegram to, 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 to organize massive protests, uh, you know, because of how secure it is and all this kind of stuff. Now, for us, I do believe, because torture cannot be, I don't think anyone condones torture here. 
even the people who are torturing, they say that, yeah, yeah, no, we do not believe in torture. We condone torture. <laughs> we condone torture, which is really annoying. So let me bring in Bobby Richard Nyondo, and then I'm going to bring in Yulian Nambiru uh, to have a discussion about this. Yes, Bobby Richard. Bobby Richard? Yes, um, how are you? How are you? Thank you, Komori, for this, for this opportunity. Yes. Uh, do you hear me, Komori? Yeah, just, uh, just switch off the radio in your background, uh, whatever uh, it's playing in the background. It's somewhere. Uh, As you switch your... Do you hear me there? Hello? Yeah, we can hear you there. That, that's, that's really good now. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, uh, good, good, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, comrades. Uh, thank you, thank you so so much, comrades, for not giving up on our mother and Uganda. And thanks for the time that you really gave out to um, uh, at least to come and compare the way how we survive in Uganda and uh, to the rest of the world, and that we know that we deserve the right to. And thank you so much, uh, comrade Jose, for this opportunity. Uh, on my side, uh, I really see sometimes, sometimes I really sit down and I really ask myself if uh, it wasn't a um, uh, social media, how would we, how, how, where would we, where would, where would we be right now in most likely in Uganda? Because um, we had a serious problem before that that are coming over the social media, just as you said, comrade, because we had a very, very hard time that we went through. Uh, what is going on in Uganda? It's not that uh, this for the dictator Museveni and his colleagues uh, uh, they just started doing it as a criminality uh, just uh, by this time of social media. They have been all the time. They have been doing the this this criminality against Ugandans, but only that there were no means of uh, exposing them, whether we like it or not. They were doing this. Museveni was doing this for the. He has been doing this for the past forty years, fifty years. But because of the absence of uh, social media by that time, so many things were being hidden away from us. But thanks to God that uh, whoever uh, uh, got these brains and gained these brains and bring up the social media, they have really made us um, uh, at least a bit to, to have a bit of survival. I call let me call it that we, we as Ugandans we at least got a bit of survival. Otherwise, it could be so so waste. I just want to upload and thank uh, the president director of the Republic of Uganda for really putting emphasis to for Ugandans to use social media as another as a, as a tool of uh, fighting uh, this dictatorship of dictator Museveni and his, and his family who, who are really heartless, ruthless uh, uh, Ugandans. Uh, media it has done really more good than um it has really helped us to expose dictator seven and his crimes than he has been never exposed before it, uh, we have exposed we have used our social media though our our our, our, our replies that we are really waiting from social media and to some of our people it has taken a long time but we have done the job. Uh, can, I, can, I, can I call you back a bit because you're having some background noise and it's really causing a very bad feedback this side. Okay. So um, if you could sort it out, then you'll be back, okay? Okay, okay. okay. thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Yeah, guys, if you're coming to speak, please at least make sure that you are in a quiet spot as well as make sure that at least you have, uh, you know, like uh, you can be in a quiet spot for the next four or five minutes and then uh, and then you, you know, you send in the request so that, you, you know, so that it's official to the, to the, uh, to the listeners. Because when you come in and you are having that background noise, it's really so bad. It doesn't sound as good. Yes, uh, Mr. Mungadi. Um, all right, hold on, Mr. Mungadi. Uh, let's first uh, hear from Juliana. She was the first, so then afterwards we're going to hear from you. Hi. Um, I don't... Uh, hello, everyone. I've just got a few points that I wanted to sort of highlight. By the way, um, that image that you're talking about of the um, slave who had their back completely um, sort of destroyed. I posted that in the morning because I was outraged and I remembered it um, from an exhibition I'd been to in the summer. So I posted it to Joe Biden's and the American embassy um, and sort of tagged them on the morning after I first saw the image and then it sort of got picked up. So um, the image is important, social media is important. But I think what we have to remember is that social media is a tool and it can be abused or used to the advantage, to our advantage. And I think our greatest um, challenge as people who use social media ma mainly because we're based in the diaspora is how do we translate the momentum that you get from um, social media posts and sort of sharing and translate that into having an impact on the ground. So whilst we can mobilize and get people uh, who are abroad or the decision makers in the various capitals, be it DC, London, Paris or Berlin, we can mobilize the decision makers there. But how do we translate that into um, real, sort of something real and tangible on the ground? How do we get our people to move so that, you know, it doesn't remain such an elitist um, exclusionary tool? But it also evolves. So we do good, but we also have to be mindful that we are a very, very small number of Ugandans, and the majority of Ugandans out there do not have access to social media, nor can they sort of come on, for example. They have a lot of things to say, but they can't come on and do as much as we're able to do. So they, whilst we can have a sort of a, a, an impact, we also we are limited in our reach because it stays online and you know apart from reaching the people abroad it doesn't translate very well i don't know what everybody else thinks but at least um that's my initial um thought so a critique is that you know we we that we're not able to translate the momentum and it does down quickly into something that is powerful and can make a difference to our people if we had the same sort of impact on the ground i think things would move a lot faster and we'll you know, we'll, we'll see change a lot faster. So we need what to try you, and find the two. Uh, just a minute. What, what do you think uh, creates that kind of, uh, you know, uh, like... The, disconnect? Yeah, disconnect? Sorry? Yeah, what creates that kind of disconnect between the, you know, people on ground and people online? Like what I, Economics, um, quite frankly, economics. With the taxes that were imposed on the use of social media, things like censorship, or even locking 
Facebook. It means that um, social media is limited to urban elites and it's, it excludes the majority of Ugandans who live in rural areas and are not able to access it. They can also get access to WhatsApp messages and the like, but they can't necessarily for example, come in and participate and take part in something like this. So hot button issues such as what's happening currently with the um, parking, the, the old park in Kampala can actually be brought to the forefront because the people who are affected are not in a position necessarily to come on here or do not have the luxury to come on uh, a forum like this and express themselves, say whatever their grievances are. So that, so it's partly, I think, it's partly economics and reach and the economics limits the reach of um, uh, to the population. And the people that you will find on forums like this are going to be the urban and legal class, people who can afford to put airtime and spend that extra cash on social media instead of sort of worrying about whether what their child is going to eat for the day, because that's how dire and that's the sort of poverty that we're talking about. People don't have food in the house, so they're not going to, you know, it's like that, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, they're not likely to, to spend money on social media if they have to feed their child or if they have to send their child to school or buy medicine, etc., etc. So I think it's partly to do with economics, especially in Uganda or in Africa. And then the rest of it is to do with, I suppose, if you're talking about the urban elite, um, they're comfortable. So <laughs> if they're comfortable and they think, Oleta Kerele, to, you know, they're not going to listen to you because you're disrupting their comfort. They're comfortable and they don't see any reason why they should sort of make noise. Now, I think the reason that Kakwensa's um, case took on a life of its own is because it affected somebody who they, who the Ugandan urbanites, the middle class, can relate to. It could be them. So there was a sort of empathy. They understood where he was coming from because torturing people in Uganda is not new. It's something that's been going on for as long as Museveni has been in power. Um, but again, amplified by social media and also because the, the urban elites can um, can relate to Kakwenza. And therefore, you know, something that some of us have been talking about for years and years suddenly gets brought up because people feel some sort of empathy towards um, the victim. Do you think, uh, do you think that uh, the you know, the, the, the dictators are, are now adopting to social media, you know, reversing the weapon or reversing the tool and using it in their interest. For example, uh, for example, if they beat up Kakwenza, they make sure that the images go out there so that for the rest of the critics can see what can happen to you if at all you, uh, you know, be critical. Secondly, can be the idea that we see, for example, you know, Mr. Mohozka in Erugaba, you know, throwing out, like so many tweets all the time. Uh, don't you think that they are adapting within the system itself and maybe they are trying to manipulate it uh, to make things look normal or, you know, create that sort of fear? Social media, I think social media can be um, manipulated and it has been manipulated. But the thing is, um, if you are, there are certain things that appall um, all of us. Um, things like torture. Any right-thinking Ugandan, Ugandan will know. And I don't think, in fact, I think um, images such as those that we have seen of late actually backfire and they're not there to sort of, they cannot be manipulated because you, there's a limit to how much manipulation and propaganda you can do. And then it becomes a case of trying to um, 
water it down or divert people with a, a tweet from Mohozi. So there is there is an element that social media can be used by those on, in power to distract us from the from what's going on. I think largely that's what Mohozi, a lot of Mohozi's tweets are about to distract us from the bigger picture. And um, but. And yes, they can use it to manipulate, but I think I credit Ugandans or people with enough intelligence to see through that manipulation and not necessarily respond to it as the oppressors would like to. So they, I think those in power are powerless um, when it comes to social media. So, social media has democratized um, communication and it means that you cannot, you know, write somebody who's intelligent is not going to be easily manipulated regardless of what you say now there are those people who are convinced that seven is god's gift to earth for those people i think yeah it's easy to manipulate them and to you know but for the i think for the rest of us or for uh, the, mo the majority of ugandans they can sort of discern and they know that you know what this is manipulation this is unacceptable yeah. Uh, okay. Lastly, also, how do you think this has, uh, you know, affected the image of African states uh, internationally? For example, you know, we see so many images uh, of, you know, African countries uh, that are under dictatorships or where there is conflict. For example, you can see Ethiopia, you can see in Cameroon, you can see Nigeria, and then most recently you can see in Uganda. I mean, what image? Because I mean, what image does that give? Uh, you know, the continent. I, I to be honest, yeah. I because don't. People, uh, just a minute. Most people might argue that by you mm -hmm. showing this to the rest of the world, you are killing. Uh, you know, why do you show these bad images to, 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 to the rest of the world? Like this is really not good. You are, you know, campaigning the continent. It's tourism and stuff like that. Whereas this is happening, there is also some good stuff that is happening. How would you reply to such arguments? Uh, well, if um, nobody is tarnishing Africa's um, image, Af the African dictators do that all by themselves without any help from Ugandans, uh, from Africans, sorry, from Africans. If you don't want people to see you in a bad light, then stop acting like a tyrant. Stop killing people. It's the truth. The truth can no longer be hidden. Whereas before they could sort of switch off the televisions and the radio stations, they can't do that. Somebody in the middle of... I don't know, some hidden village in Timbuktu can take a picture with their phone and post it to the rest of the world. So if you don't want that negative image to come out, then don't do it. Don't kill people. Don't um, don't torture people. Um, it's very easy. And of course, bad news spreads faster. For those who love Uganda or Africa, they will be able to tell you that there's a lot more to Africa than the dictators themselves. But if you want tourists to come to your, your, your country, then you have to bear in mind that security is very important. Before anybody goes and books a holiday, they will go to um, you know, the State Department's, the CIA's um, website country, or you know, the Foreign Office to see what they are recommending for the country. So if you don't want the negative publicity, don't kill people. It, or torture people or create insecurity in the in the country you can't the victims cannot be blamed for what dictators do you cannot blame those who speak up against these um oppression this oppression etc etc and you know you can't blame them for for mohozi ordering people ordering his ssc to go and gun down people in kasese now that region of uganda is very beautiful and touristic but people will not go there if they know that, you know, they're walking on people's graves or, you know, th there's blood all over those 
in place. So it's not for us to sort of sanitize and uh, b- put a gloss or sort of whitewash what's actually happening in Africa. It's for African states to actually have a concert, make a concerted effort to promote um, tourism and you know promote their countries in a good light. Ghana has done a wonderful job of doing that. Um, where you know if you really want people to come to your country, just presented as it is, beautiful, clean, with a lot of history and a lot of things to teach us, and then stop killing people. So you can't, I don't know, I don't think it's possible to blame the people um, for what um, governments do. If you want to come, clean up your act. Simple. Uh, yes, thank you very much, uh, Union. If, uh, in terms of anything, if one wanted to revert, I'll get you back. Yes, Mr. Mungadi, uh, you have something to say. Yes, thank you, Mr. Mwanja. Yes, I'm in the hospital, busy working, but I, I'll say something small. Well, I have gone through, some of us who have gone through the trends, I call them the trends, I appreciate the social media, and uh, it's an opportunity that uh, all of us should not miss. Uh, the, the last speaker has just mentioned it. You know, look at the social media in the USA. If you went there, you'll find universities talking about sports, advertising for scholarships, advertising for whatever, whatever, whatever. Even medicine now is on social media. Actually, uh, right now, they say a host, any hospital should be known by its visual outreach. A hospital should not only be a building where people go, but a hospital should turn out into a, play, a center of, of, of excellence. My the hospital where I am has 4,000 desktops. 4,000 desktops. Just think about that. So the social media is a business. But for us, as far as we are concerned, yes, it is still filled with the, with the dirt. And the best we can do is to improve the social media. You can't stop it. It's an age that you are not going to stop. All you need is engage, 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 engage the social media. But how are you going to engage it? What do you have to to put in the social media. Here, where we are in the state, they say, when you see something, say something. When you see something, say something. The person who puts a torture victim has seen it. A person who puts somebody bleeding has seen that. So that's what they are seeing. So to change this trend, to make it the social media more palatable, it's not about putting rules. It's about engaging the social media. Yes, go there and engage and make sure what you're putting in. You know, you have seen Facebook saying this is not for community standards. So if everything is coming from Uganda that does not suit community standards, can we now think about what community standards look like? So it's very, very, very important that we take advantage of the social media. The other day I told you that uh, right now there's competition. Google, 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 Google is in, in the state where I am here. And it is competing. It's competing. Now they have gone ahead. They're just giving free laptops and teaching only three classes introduction to, to, to computing and then they teach you how to, to, to google search and then i think uh, just about three applications and they give you a free laptop so this is the power of information that is taking over and you're not going to see yes in uganda for now i think we are we're more of in a primitive state and a primitive age and the people who are leading if we're talking about the social media if you're talking about education surely janet 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 seven is not for this age you need young people who are who, who are hungry for you. And that's what I have been telling you that you need somebody who is going to, to spar, somebody who's going to stimulate young people into innovations. 
this is something we are lacking. We are we're only having people who come when somebody comes to, to, to TV, comes, comes to threaten younger people. That's not opening up. So the social media is doing a great job. In fact, yesterday I had, uh, I think it, we just had a, a few. What, what do you think? What do you think of uh, what the previous uh, discussion said that whereas it is active online, but uh, there is a, a disconnect between online and, and, you know, underground. That is why we cannot convert the, uh, you know, people cannot convert the outrage. They cannot convert the, you know, the, the discomfort that they saw on social media. It is hard to convert it into, um, you know, protests or into, uh, you know, something on ground that can, you know, show discomfort, dissatisfaction and discomfort uh, on, on, online in one way or the other. Yes, that disconnect by the, that that this disconnect has been there for a purpose and it's on purpose. If you look at Uganda before the elections, that Uganda was very active. So the tag on the social media has controlled the country for now, but you can't control it forever. And it, it, it's just going to open up and it, it will open up because for how long? Because right now, if you look at uh, all, all schools, for example, in the United States where we are, apart from medicals, almost all classes are now online. They're online, medical schools, even medical schools. Apart from, I think, schools of nursing and a few schools are the ones that are practical. But the rest of the classes are online. So the age, if we are not ready to change, change the change is going, there to, is going to be there to change us. It's not something we are going to resist forever. It's coming. We're only lagging behind. We're only behind. But with a few people, the people we are connecting up with, like us, like the lady you have connected up, I mean, this is, not, this, this is miraculous. Mahanja, I'm talking to you from USA to in UK. We'll talk to the other lady in, um, somewhere. Somebody's in Africa. These are changes that are, you can almost say are automatic. We're only having the wrong people in places we need to remove. That is a matter of fact that these people must go. You saw younger people from Makere University protesting. Surely, why would the university student protest about internet? Why? So these are things that are coming upon us, that are, will be upon us whether we want it or not. The age is there. It's an information age that you are not going to stop. If we are not changing, it will change us. Okay. Yes, that's the best I can tell you, Fazim <laughs> Mahanja. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Uh, for those of you who are listening in from different parts of the world, uh, in Uganda, uh, in the parliament today, uh, a list of parliamentarians that, uh, that voted to, to, to censure the Minister of Security, known as Jim Mwezi, uh, that list of parliamentarians has been released. Uh, for those of you who are listening, uh, I will go through the list here, especially for the people who did not uh, sign on that particular list. How did this issue of censorship come about? This is what happened. For one and a half years, uh, Ugandans, especially those ones supporting Bobiwani's political party known as the National Unity Platform, have been kidnapped, uh, arrested, tortured, beaten, and even those that are not supporting or those who might have dissenting views but do not belong to the party, most of them have also been taken away, never to be seen again. For those ones that are brought back to the public, literally, they are, are in unrecognizable situation. Of course, the latest being, uh, you know, Mr. Maseruka, uh, coordinator from Western Uganda, as well as Mr. Kakwenza Lukrebash, who now has left the country into exile. So the leaders of the leader of opposition known as Matthias in Puga, 
uh, brought, uh, because they tried to engage these people in parliament uh, in order to work on the issue of torture. And also the other issue that two of uh, the parliamentarians, Alan Sawanyana and Segrinya Mohammed, have now been in prison close to uh, seven months, coming to almost seven months on trumped up charges of terrorism and, you know, hacking people to death and that kind of stuff. You all know what has been happening. So now, like, has been done to poke uh, you know, supporters as well as the opposition in the parliament of Uganda. So the parliament said, sorry, the leader of opposition as well as other opposition parliamentarians said that they had, they had had enough. And there was like, you know what? We are going to protest for two weeks without stepping in the parliament. So they boycotted the parliament for two weeks in protest of this particular, uh, you know, torture and kidnaps that have been taking place for one and a half years now. Now, uh, on top of the on top of the boycott, they decided to also censure the minister of security, known as Jim Mukwezi, who is also the member of parliament of Richumbra County, I think. So that is when the issue of signatures came about because the opposition needed 176 signatures in order to censure Jim Muhez because he has failed as the minister of security to secure the security of Ugandans, if that makes sense. <laughs> so uh, since last week, uh, people have been signing on this censure, uh, censorship, censorship of the minister of security. Now, you should understand that the parliament of Uganda has 529 members of parliament, if I'm not mistaken. But 336, I think, out of 336 of those belong to the ruling party, the so-called NRM. Then 109 belong to the opposition, and a few there belong to the military as well as independence. So, unfortunately, to this day, the leader of opposition has and his team have only managed to get to one people to sign on this particular motion. So that means that uh, Mr. Jim Muhez is going to eat his, you know, is likely to eat his chicken. But anyway, so what the lead of opposition decided to do is like, to be accountable to the public, I'm gonna put out the list of people who signed in favor of this motion. Now, definitely we looked through the list and gathered up the names of those who did not sign. So, this big that's, uh, you know, it, it, it brought us to a crossroad of asking, do people even take this torture issue serious in Uganda? Why? Because there was another motion that was going on in parliament about Mr. Francis Zake, who mocked for being tortured by the deputy speaker of parliament, Anita Mogi. And by mocking Zake, Zake definitely as a human being also retaliated. And because of his reply, now there is a motion going, taking place in the same parliament to remove Mr. Zake as the commissioner of parliament. As we speak today, Mr. Zake, we Africa, I'm gonna bring you in Malcolm John. As we speak today, Mr. Zake has been in the parliamentary disciplinary committee. What we see here is that the issue of Zake is literally taking precedent. Like it's, it's literally taking up so much time of the parliament of Uganda than looking in, into the issue of torture. As I bring in Mr. Malcolm John, let me read through, let me read you the list of the members of parliament who have so far refused to sign on the motion to censure the Minister of Security, Mr. Jim Huez. And uh, you can make up your mind on what you think about this particular list. DP, the following people have not yet signed. John P. Lukwago, P. 
Peter Okot, Lulume Baiga, and Reste Nanteza. FDC, the following have not signed. Nandala Mafabi, Anthony Akol. Hold on, hold on. Anthony Akol, Cecilia Aguar, Betty Awol Achan. Hold on. Hold on, okay? I can't hear anything from my side. Just be patient, Mr. Whatever, we are African. Okay, so I was still reading for you the names, guys, uh, so that you can make up your mind. Now, there are Mafabi for the. This is now FDC. Mafabi hasn't signed. Anthony Akol, Cecilia Ogwal, Betty Awola Chan, Nicholas Kamara, Julius Peter Emigu, Harold Muhindo, Godfrey Katshave, Okin Ojara, Dennis Oguzu, Jacob Sinje, Stella Apolot, Simon Oyet, Emmanuel Ogenthro, Naboth Amania, and John Sasanga. I think Sasang or something. UPC, the following have not, you know, signed. Patrick Ochan, Maxwell Akora, Nelson Okero, Susan Achora Engola, Jimmy Obote, Bob Oke, Kenny Auma, Betty Amongi, Alum Sandra. Now, some of the notable independent members of parliament, the one you all know, uh, include <laughs> Mohammed Insereko, the independents, Abdul Katuntu, Anitin Nakato, Mapenduzi Martin, uh, Wilfred Nwagaba and Connie Garwango. Now, there are those people that we also know that, you know, are, are always shouting around. They seem to be FDC, they seem to be NRM, they seem to be opposition. They, like, you know, they fall everywhere. They include Mbwate Kamagafa, Sekikubo Theodre, and Bastin Kasimine. So, those of you who are listening, what do you think is going on in the parliament? Because some of the names here would have expected to have these names on that particular list. Now, I was listening to the leader of opposition, Mr. Natasha Mbunga, and he said that this was a test in, in the parliament of Uganda to see the people that the leader of opposition can literally work with, the people, the leader of opposition, the people he can trust, and so on and so forth. But then, I don't know, are these people, uh, do you think they are MPs who refused to sign? but would have wanted to sign, but they are afraid of what their constituents will think in case they sign in favor of the motion that is censoring Jim Wazi and maybe their constituents is quite, you know, is NRM. I don't know. Is there some sort of confusion in that particular manner? Or do you think that some refused to sign because of issues to deal with, uh, you know, it might be tribal or something of that sort? Because some of the members of parliament argue that, you know, the issue of censoring the Minister of Security does not make sense. That's what they say, that the only person we should be targeting is Museveni himself. And that is quite interesting because, you know, of course, Museveni is not in the parliament, but maybe what they are calling for is to impeach Museveni. But then you, what you're talking about here is that if you cannot even sign on the simplest thing of removing the Minister of Security, taking things in order, how can you be able to... Uh, to, to, to censure, uh, you know, how can you be able to impeach Museveni? <laughs> Literally, it can be next to zero. So if you have anything you want to discuss or anything you want to talk about on, on these particular issues that are happening, please never to uh, send in your request so that we can discuss about these issues. Now, this has all been because of the torture that has been taking place in the country. This torture has literally been center stage in Uganda. Uh, if you Google Uganda today, what first thing comes up is Kakwenza all over the world. 
And of course, the image of Museveni and uh, you know, his government is, is really bad because he had invested a lot into what we call uh, tourism and that kind of stuff. Yes, we, Africa, Malcolm John, uh, what, what do you have to say? Yes, hello. Yes, I can hear you, sir. Like, can you hear me, Mr. Manager Fazil? Yes, I can hear you. I can hear you. So I don't know if this is how it works. Like, I can't hear myself and I can't hear any feedback from you. But then I would like to, you know, put some few points out that um, I think um, the issue of torture should be taken as a serious matter. And every human though they should be concerned and assigned either way if you know. But then if, 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 if we find that we have 81 members that have endeavored to sign, then I think that's the number that we, you know, that, that we shall be having even on Thursday. So, um, I, I really don't know, but every day that goes by, I really go impatient on how uh, Dictator Museveni has really governed this country. Because um, really everything is going west, is, you know, there is literally nothing that is done by law or in law. So it, it, it's, it's all about what Museveni wants. You get now today, Seguinho's mother was crying all over parliament. How you know, Janeti, my seven issue, please help me and you know, set my son free. But then that is not how we should, that is not how low we should go because we're not going to know for nobody simply because you know, like they have incarcerated somebody for no good reason either way. And I don't know, but then I think we can find a better way to put Museveni down. I think that is all, that's my submission and for this great work that you always do, you know, keeping up, updating us, you know, interacting, bringing emotions and yeah, I salute you for that. Yeah, thank you. All right, thank you very much for, 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 for that submission, uh, Mr. Malcolm John. Yes, so, Ladies and gentlemen, for those of you who are just joining, we are talking about social. Uh, sorry, we are talking about. Uh, we are discussing about torture and social media, uh, because torture definitely has become rampant in Uganda as well as the entire continent, especially in countries that are suffering uh, dictatorships and authoritarian authoritarianism. Uh, <clears throat> as a tool, uh, social media as a tool definitely, uh, you know, is being used by people who are being tortured in one way or the other. Because right now, like. Uh, you know, for you to <laughs> for you to even comment or follow a particular person, you know, it can get you into trouble. That's how things have changed today. You know, it can literally get you in deep, deep trouble and get you a really, really uh, tough beating. Of course, we have seen different countries have employed different strategies in order to uh, curb this uh, thing of social media. Uh, we see that into we see the introduction of the social media tax uh, in countries like Tanzania, in countries like Uganda, and so on and so forth. I was speaking to a friend of mine, and he told me that in Uganda, Facebook doesn't work. Uh, it only works if you are using, I think, a VPN, <laughs> which is really interesting. And given that, uh, you know, a lot of people are doing businesses on these platforms, and of course, um, Seven and his government are also taxing the same platform into 
you know, to, 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 to get money out of it. And so now they decided, like, rather lose the taxes than have people shout and oppose us on these particular platforms. Now, you see, that is the problem as to why Africa has even failed to attract these multi-corporations. I think it is Yana who mentioned the issue of uh, Ghana, that Ghana now as you know, is trying to improve and is becoming, you know, one of those places that these multi-corporations can actually invest. I remember recently, I think Twitter opened its first hub in Ghana and uh, Nigeria actually missed out. But you see that, um, you see that, uh, uh, you know, depending on how you handle these platforms, also, uh, you know, the, 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 such corporations or such investors, you know, they tend to think twice on how they, uh, you know, enter into that particular country one way or the other. So um, you can even see countries like Kenya taking away business from Uganda, because <laughs> uh, I have no problem with that. But you can see countries like Kenya, they literally take away business. from. I'm not saying things are perfect in Kenya, but of course you can see. The other country that was actually becoming a bit successful on that front of attracting international companies, uh, it is Ethiopia. And we all thought that Ethiopia was actually, uh, you know, one of those model countries that we were actually looking at. You know, they were having the Grand Grand Renaissance Dam uh, moving, because for those of you who have been following that particular story, uh, Ethiopia, that dam started generating electricity. Then you had that e uh, I think was it the Ethiopian telecom deal uh, that the Americans heavily invested in it that supported the Safaricom that wanted Safaricom to, to you know to take over the telecom the national telecom of Ethiopia and all that kind of stuff. Like you could see, like the interests in Ethiopia were quite interesting. That you know they are attracting in a lot of money. And then the, the crisis in Ethiopia happened, the so-called Tigrayan the Tigrayan war, and I mean it's it, it, it's it's literally. Um, affected the country, you know, it's, it's not really good. But the war in Ethiopia has been really well publicized, especially on these platforms. And you would see that the damage done is really, really, really it's, it's huge. Huge damage has been done to Ethiopia and its economy. Because most of these things, you could even lie about numbers, you could even lie about the people who have been attacked or beaten and this kind of stuff, but you can no longer lie. Because people will take their images in real time and tweet and send them on WhatsApp and send them. I mean, look, trust me, if I asked you to get me a video of people cheating or stealing elections in 2011, uh, you know, you, could, you, you can hardly find it anywhere of people ballot staffing and taking ballots. You can't find it anywhere. But if I asked you to get me videos of people rigging and cheating, you can get me hundreds of these videos on on, on Twitter or Facebook, they're out there in public, uh, you know, rigging elections in Uganda. Those ones you have because of this particular platform. So it is on record, it is there. You're not going to wipe it off. It is a permanent record. Unless if you're going to, I don't know, destroy the entire internet or what? What are you going to do? Are you going to take Facebook down and like ban the offices and the servers? <laughs> Trust me, it will still be somewhere. It will still be somewhere, maybe on the dark net or somewhere there. It will still be there. So it's a permanent record. You cannot just think that, you know, whatever you do as a government or whatever you do as a head of state, people are now having our faces. People are now having everything about you. For example, if it was Idi Amin today and you said, oh, well, Obote, and said that Obote did this and this and that. Yes, this is only, this is, we can only ask evidence from uh, eyewitnesses 
eyewitnesses can tell us the stories and stuff, but of course, at times, uh, you know, the, 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 the amount of evidence that people have on, you know, the current authoritarian leaders is huge. I think this is the worst time to choose to be an authoritarian leader, surely, or a dictator. This is the worst time to be an authoritarian or a dictator in, 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 in the world. Because it is gonna, it's getting much harder. The problem is when it gets much harder, uh, the harder it gets in terms of clamping down on such platforms and things like that. And you can see it's not only these people or the dictators, but it's also, uh, you know, these local leaders. They are all afraid. Uh, ministers and members of parliament. They are all afraid of the platform. And you ask yourself, why are you afraid? Now the excuse they give us is that, oh, you guys just abuse. I'm like, come on. Okay, you just put the information out there, and people will react in different ways. No one will, you know, people won't be praising you all the time, and you know, summer can be there, just bored and idle. Maybe they can put comment, and if that takes you off, I mean, I don't think that's a, a, a substantial reason not to be on these particular platforms. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we are discussing the role of social media in combating torture in Uganda. So, if you have anything to say or if you have any contribution to make, you can just send a request there. Then we can uh, discuss this particular issue. Um, for me, if you ask me, I think the torture is gonna get is going to get worse before it gets better. And and uh, like <laughs> it's gonna get worse before it gets better. Reason being that. Museveni is at big enough, you know, leaders like Museveni, they know that they are weak. And the only tool they are left with in their toolbox, right, in terms of tricks, is to strike fear into the hearts of the people. Now, how do you do that? You do not strike fear by bribing people. You do not strike fear by, uh, you know, letting people protest and that kind of stuff. No. You strike fear by using tactics that... You know, that create fear in people such that they can think about twice on what they are going to do next. Well, that's why I believe that most of these things uh, these people, they release, they show us so that to know what is going to happen. I had a situation whereby like, people would see you and they would call you. They're like, oh man, you're dead. You would even have family members calling you and telling you, hey, please stop saying this and that. Stop saying these guys will come for you. Blah, blah. You get it. So you get that sort of pressure, not even from these people who are doing the thing, but they, you get the pressure from your hobbies, your people you went to school with, and some might even be family members and so on and so forth. Then they're telling you, hey, stop that, stop that. You're like, ah, come on. You get it. So that's why I, told, I was thinking that, for example, when they see these things on TV, on because I've spoken to friends of mine who have also told me the same, that when they see these things on TV, they are called by different people asking them that, please, stop talking about that issue. We still want, we still want to see you. Did you see what they did to Kakwenza? Did you see what they did to Masaruka? And all this kind of stuff. But, but then, um, because that is the only toolbox that Mr. Museveni had, that the only tool that Mr. Museveni has, another authoritarian leaders like him. Uh, the, the other thing that you see that, you know that information is very, very important in, in the modern states that we live in today, especially uh, the situation that is happening today in Africa. 
and trust me, what is happening in West Africa with the coups that are actually becoming the order of the day, of course, it must be influenced by, you know, people hearing that, oh, these ones took over in Guinea, or the other ones say, oh, these ones we can also take over in Mali, and the other ones say, oh, we can also take over here, which is really interesting. So the information flow is literally becoming, you know, it's literally benefiting these hunters that are actually propping up. Yes, Max. Mr. Max, uh, Afri Max, I think you are off. Yes, Bakachi Jaffa. Bakachi Jaffa, you, you're saying? Bakachi Jaffa, I don't know. I don't know if you, if you send your request, let me know and I will, uh, if it doesn't come through, uh, send it, to, you can send me a message and I will, I will find a means I can invite you, I think. As a, uh, Afrimax, I think. Is it Afrimax? You can resend your request and then we can see. Oh, Bakachi Jaffa. So I was saying that. And there is this idea. Me, what I don't agree with people is this. There is this idea. I've seen so many people here. Like, guys, there's this idea that and I've seen it happening. Like, especially, I don't know why it is so much in Uganda. People are like, hey, Singing will not do anything to remove Museveni. I do agree. And people are like, tweeting will not do anything to combat torture. I do agree. Like, you know, what, what are you going to do? Go to SFC and what do you call it? Nalufenia and, you know, protest from there? Or like, what are you going to do, right? Singing songs are not going to remove. But then I sit back and ask myself, these people in the South Africa, they was, was the Lucky Dubes, his songs of freedom. Uh, Yvonne Chaka Chaka's Yondo Sisters. I don't think they sang any revolutionary songs, but those songs that they sang, the apathetic songs. Now, if we went back in, if we went back in time, would you say the same words to Mr. Lakendube or Yvonne Chaka Chaka? Would you say the same words? I don't think so. Would you say the same words to, uh, you know, Bob Marley? That oh, Bob Marley, I'll tell you what, your music is crap, don't even bother. It's not going to change anything in the political situation of Jamaica. Would you say, would you tell, would you, would you literally tell Bob Marley that? I don't think so. If you went to Nigeria, would you tell that to Fela Kuti? Then, if you are told you are exchange seeking or person who wants a better Uganda, why can't we embrace each and every effort that someone is doing to, 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 to you know, to fight against? A dictatorship. If someone can write, let us embrace it. Do not start saying that one that ah oh, you, you are writing, nothing is going to happen with your with your writings. Well, if nothing is going to happen, then what should we ask about people like the Franz Fanon? You know, the writings of uh, you know, because for, for, for Franz Fanon actually was very critical about the modern African uh, uh, leaders. And how they are actually how they actually became hypocrites, and how they are and they actually became much more worse than the former co colonial masters. You know, I mean, if you read most of his work, you know, people like Franz Fanon. If, if you look at people like uh, Walter Rodney, you know, their writings, and then you find people say, "Oh no, 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 you, you, you people, you are writing what poems. What are they going to do? Or so and so's writings. What are, what are they going to do? They are literally gonna do nothing." Okay. 
And people are like, oh, no, no, you just talk, talk, talk. Nothing, nothing is happening. You just talk, talk, talk. Hey, would you say that to Martin Luther King? Would you say that to, uh, you know, Malcolm X? You know, would you say that to Marcus Garvey? Would you say that to Dr. W.E.B. Dubois? You couldn't. Because everyone is trying as much as they can to do what they can in their own needs. Now, there's this idea, uh, gentlemen, whoever wants to speak, do not feel shy. You can just send it. You don't have to show your face and all this kind of stuff. It's a good thing you don't show your face, so you can just send it and then you can speak. And you have people saying that uh, uh, you have people saying that, uh, you know, everybody just shouting on social media and stuff like that. Of course, you couldn't say that to people who are in Egypt. You couldn't say that to people who are in Lebanon and all these other places. And then for me, what I just do not understand is people why they underscore or undermine the role of the West in propping up or in condoning dictatorships in Africa. If you look at the right liberal and uh, Desmond Tutu, when Mandela was in prison, Desmond Tutu actually fought so hard in the Reagan administration on the issues of Desmond, on the issues of supporting the apartheid regime in South Africa. He actually made a lot of trips to America to tell these people to stop giving uh, the, 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 you know, the, the apartheid regime weapons because they were sending, you know what was funny is that of course, the problem with Africa is that you have these problems of you know, American interests and Western interests in the region. And then you know, when you have those interests and they collide with the interests of the people, and then you know, it creates a mess because we do understand that now some people might say that, okay, some people said Reagan was a racist. But then, if you look at it in terms of politics, you can see that Ronald Reagan, you know, because of the Cold War that we had at the time, was literally uh, interested in, 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 in this country called, uh, uh, is it Namibia? Yeah, Namibia, I think, Southwest Africa, because they did not want the Cubans to get, you know, to, 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 to get most of these, sorry, they did not want Cuban expansion in the southern part of Africa. So they decided to support the apartheid regime so that the apartheid regime could fight the Cubans in Namibia, and sorry, Angola, to fight them in Angola. So in the end, by supporting the apartheid regime, by giving it arms, the apartheid regime would use this in order to trump against the black people. So what Mr. Desmond Tutu and other African uh, you know, leaders, what they did was to go to America, where the support was actually coming from, lobby Congress, lobby all these people, student groups at universities and stuff like that. You would see black and white people marching together to condemn Reagan's policies. Forgotten what the policy was actually called, but um, there is that policy that they had. Now, this clearly shows that by engaging the West, by speaking to them, by telling them that what you're doing is that you are spoiling our continent. I think it's really, really paramount. Let me bring in uh, Fresh Prince. Uh, there is the, okay, Mr. Wamugadi, uh, can you cancel and send that request again, Wamugadi? Uh, yes, Fresh, then we're going to come back and say. Oh, yeah. Uh, good evening, Fazil. Am I loud and clear? Yes, loud and clear, sir. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me and... Uh, Thank you for having us on these platforms on a daily to share our views and uh, also contribute on the stories in the week. So uh, I'll be very quick today because I've, I've been watching NBS Barometer and apparently I'm seeing our comrade Mufumbiro giving Sereko another bloody nose for a second week running. Uh, 
and I'm really enjoying the show. However, uh, the few points I wanted to note are the, the fight or the infringement on the freedom of speech that the government is using Serebo to curtail Ugandans into submission. You know, there's a thing about fate being a double-crosser, and many of the times, uh, it's only fools that wouldn't learn from history. I see another guy in the names of Gashumba also making a lot of noise about this law. And Gashumba, the culprit, he should be able to know that if this law is put into effect, one day, one time, he will fall on the wrong side of the government and he will, they, they will use this law to throw him into the cell. So let's, let's, let's leave uh, Zereko to introduce his law. And I can assure you that he could be one of the first people to actually fall victim of this law. Mufubido has just reminded him he is representing a case in Buganda Road Court, representing someone, Ismail Access, who is actually battling the same cyber law uh, of reckless speech, trying to tell Muslim terrorists to go into churches and bomb them. And this is his blue-eyed boy. And Seriko is on record so many times on Facebook and Twitter lives being radical. He has been radical before, even on social media. He can actually pull out a lot of, a lot and a lot of, uh, footages showing how radical he is. So you, you, you leave him, he 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 doesn't want to learn from history, but he will he will he will really learn. So my second point and last point would be uh yesterday I was listening into your space again and there's a gentleman, I've forgotten his name, he was trying to explain to us how government uses media and uh, regime apologies to drive a narrative. And they drive narratives every week, like every after, I think, 10 to 11 days, they have a new narrative and they drive it so smartly. And so many times we fall victims of this narrative and we play the ball and, and uh, end up end up uh, on the side that they want us to be put. So most times we need to know what is their goal. In most cases, is they want to put a wall and uh, be defensive, like the whole week, be on a defensive and uh, trying to, you know, pull out all sorts of defense at voices and all the people now. So what do we need to know? We need to know these narratives up and like way before they are brought and uh, we need to devise ways of how to tackle these narratives so that they end up being on the defensive. We did that with torture and almost every government account came out and you saw it, they have all been on the defensive. Now if, if they bring the these are narratives of uh, Bobby Weinstein and now social media law and you, you know about... Uh, about uh, acquiring a noob through fraudulent ways, like Mao is saying, how do we turn it around and put it to them and so that they are the ones with the narrative. So uh, I'm so happy that we have so many of such platforms, Fazil, and um, I commend you and the entire team of Echoto and all the comrades who do this. And I believe that through these platforms, we can always put these people on a defensive if we are very strategic. So uh, other than us having uh, such spaces to explain why the government is having us on defensive, we should actually have them more to put them on a defensive. Like, you know, they always listen to these things, by the way. You can even clearly see in the people who are listening into your space, you would see people with NRM, DPs, others you'll see with Museveni. They do listen to many of these things. So when we have such conversations, we should actually be putting it to them, especially. Fazil, uh, I understand you, you are a very lenient person and uh, I would I would request, out of good faith, you bring some of these people actually on this space. Not necessarily NRM. Like, I'm, I'm sure you can bring Honorable Sereko on this space. You can bring Mao on this space. You know, if they really trust their cause, you know, they feel like they're very articulate and they're good orators, 
bring him on this space and let us grill them. You know, you can actually trick them into having a conversation. Start it very well. Let's have a conversation. Then around one hour, one and a half hour, you invite us in. Let us grill them. Let us put them on a defensive. If Mao is really giving us a time on social media, invite him on this space. Uh, a colleague just uh, invited him a while ago, Remy Bahati. And you saw what happened. He was actually the whole three hours, the guy was just ranting. The whole three hours. Nobody has actually invited himself on one of these spaces. And I hope, I really hope, Fazil, you do it. Invite some of these people on these spaces. Let us grill them. Let us see. Because Balawana, for being good orators, and you know they can twist, let them come. But because the sense of it. You get. Let us not be so radical. Tell us, ah, we don't want any NRM people in our spaces to validate, but that should be the goal. Other than putting us on the wall, let us put them on the wall whenever they bring many of these narratives. To take a Thank you so much. That was my submission. Thank you very much. We shall, uh, we shall think about that and then uh, see. Yes, mine, mine uh, Fazil, is just a simple thing, a very simple thing and a simple request. Um, you've read us the names. You have read us the names of people who have not appended the signatures now. I don't know, I don't know how my district is doing because uh, I want the names of my MPs from, from Busia. Then you'll see what I'll do with, with them uh, because uh, I am a voter. So I want to know their opinion on torture. So I think these are some of the things that we must do, that, that when we have information, what do we do with the information? So me, I'm only interested in knowing how my people from Busia have voted on this. Then you leave it to me and you follow me and you see what, how, how, to, how it will work because me, I'm, <laughs> I know how to use the social media. So mm. I just want the names of, I'm, I'm not threatening, but I want the names of my MPs. I'm a voter <laughs> and leave it to me. <laughs> That's what I wanted to request. Okay. Busia. No problem. I will see. Thank you. Hey guys. Okay. Pretty bad. Yes, Damubiru. With the, the people who were just saying that um, what happened, I think, or what happens sometimes is we amongst ourselves, especially the people in the diaspora, we tend to sort of talk amongst each other because we have the access. But what would be interesting, and I think is really important, is um, when you read out the list of the people who didn't vote. Now, there could be a myriad of reasons why they didn't vote today. And I don't know how long it's going to, you know, how long it will be tabled, whether there's a deadline for signatures. Um, what would be super interesting is to have a connection with local people um, on the ground to invite these MPs. So if you know that the, on the list there was X, Y, or Z and they didn't sign, then it would be interesting to invite them and to hear their reasoning and to hear them defend their positions as to why, um, whether there's some sort of, there isn't any sort of bipartisan reason why they didn't um, sign. I think it's really important for us as well to sort of reach out and get local people. And I, the other thing I wanted to ask is I'd love to hear from people in Uganda why they feel or what reason they think um, there is that Ugandans they don't um, 
or they're not so enthusiastic or enthused, or why they don't join, apart from economics, of course, why they don't join the social media um, debates. And it would be interesting to sort of hear the the the, the, the what people on the ground. Have to do. I think I think I think on that issue is is also important to note that you will find. For example, now between uh, the ages of 12 and maybe the ages of 15, most of them might be on TikTok and they're not so, you know, they're not on platforms like Twitter. And you might find that some uh, have their platforms, like Facebook is maybe their main platform. And then some you might find that their main platforms is uh, WhatsApp or Telegram or Instagram and so on and so forth. And I think uh, the abundance of all these apps and the abundance of all these platforms is also some sort of a challenge of bringing people to, I don't know if you would agree with this argument, but the abundance of all these apps and, and, and platforms, it's also um, an I think the demographics, I think the demographics on the different, um, uh, you, because what you're trying to say is that the demographic that comes on Twitter and then you've got some young people on um, TikTok, you're not the audience that you're trying to reach who do make the decisions about what happens in the country. This is not the 12-year-olds, the 15-year-olds on TikTok, even though I understand why it's important to include the youth. The decision makers are mainly on certain platforms, such as um, um, Facebook for the older generation and then Twitter for the sort of the very young urban types. Um, and it is possible because I have seen it where, you know, if you do invite the right guests uh, and if you do, you know, we have to be very open-minded about this. And I may not agree with what you're saying, but I will defend with my my life your right to say it. So it's important to be inclusive of all um, perspectives, including the NRM, regardless of how much we don't agree with them. I think it's important, like the previous, I think it was the Fresh Prince said, it's important to invite these people and to let let them have their say and then we can challenge them because if we keep it within those with whom we agree with then i think we're limiting yeah. the scope and the reach of what we're trying to do thank yeah, you that, that, that surely makes sense okay thank you very much yes twitter twitter bad yes um thank you so much for this great opportunity you've given me mr mayanja and thank you for hosting this space so the the role of social media in combating torture in africa that 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 is a very very good topic. Now, I, I just wanted, I just had a few pointers. One of them is an observation that I do believe from interacting with so many people that are, that are in this struggle as well. Ugandans, we, we don't believe in ourselves. I mean, we were like beaten dogs that can't come out and be petted. We were like wives that were living with husbands that beat us for so long that we, we don't even have any self-esteem. It, it has taken years, probably two or three years, to actually have people come out eventually. You see, people are eventually coming out of their shells and realizing, oh, I do have a voice. Yes, I can use it. I do have social media. Yes, I can use it. We've been beaten down with so much bad governance, with so much threatening, empty threats um, that people believe them. And you're like, they're scared. And you're like, no, that is your right. That is your God-given right, and you have to use it. So I think maybe the reason as to why also people are not or they are coming out slowly is the, the lack of education and not in general, 
But if you really think about it, even as we really know what is going on, we, we had to, you know, go to those classes a little bit more and understand. You have to know your civics a little bit. You have to know the history of Uganda. Some people do not even know the history of Uganda. They don't know what transpired in 1962. You have to you have to do some research and kind of educate yourself. And you're like, okay, so now I know what's going on. Now you see the trend. Some people do not know who they are dealing with. We've been just ruled and ruled and ruled over. We have no clue. So it, it's taking a while for to come out of their shells. Uh, a, a case in point is uh, Mr. Anseriko, um, who is coming up with uh, this law, social media law. If you really think and think and think about whatever he's doing or whatever he's saying, it makes no sense. And, and, I, and I can prove to you that it doesn't make any sense. One, the government of Uganda is the one thing or the one government that is so good at faking things. So they have fake accounts to come and counteract what we're doing. And so they're going to abuse people. So how are you tracking those people? So I could, I could have 10 fake accounts and I could still be abusing someone. And you don't you know where to get me. You will never get me. You'll never take me to court. You'll never, you, you don't know who I am. We don't have intelligence in that country, at least not good enough to find 10 accounts of, of social media that are fake. So how do you know who I am? And then people are cowing down. So then now they're going to stop because somebody has brought it on TV, um, a TV station that is bought by the government again. So it, it's taking us a while to come out and also to more education, more civic education to understand. We need to know what our rights what our rights are. Some people don't know who they are, what their rights are and who they're supposed to talk to and how they're supposed to speak. So it's taken a while, but social media is here to stay. Unfortunately, the government of Uganda doesn't know how to use social media. So that gives us the, I don't know, the upper hand. We should use it to the very most advantage, I want to say. Put it all in there. I mean, just put it all out there and it will bring them down as soon as possible. But we just have to know or to believe in ourselves. Just like we, we know everything takes a while, we just have to believe that it does take a while. A revolution takes a while, but everything is a learning you, curve. Everything is learning curve. Because what do you think, of, uh, you, you know, having been on social media for quite a while, what do you think about the idea that especially, you know, change-seeking Ugandans uh, on Twitter and Facebook and all these other platforms, uh, have have blocked or have not embraced having discussions with people from the other side uh, of the political spectrum. And I, this I mean, for example, people that they might not agree with, uh, that is FDC could be, uh, supporters of FDC on social media would not like to have a discussion with supporters of the National Unity Platform, supporters of the DP would not like to have a conversation, you know, and so on and so forth. Do, would you, what would you think of the idea that you know, we, like Julian said, that we should be able to sit and hear out these people, whereas we do not agree with them and have a discussion with them and hear out what they what they really think, because that is what most people are now looking at. Like, they feel like, uh, you know, maybe you are preaching to the already converted and, you know, it gets, uh, you know, like you cannot get any better than that in one way or the other. So what do you think about that issue of engaging people from other uh, sides of spectrums and hear them out and challenge them and find points of convergence or anything of that sort. What do you think about that idea? Uh, can I have a go at, uh, at that one? Yeah. yeah, sure, sure. Okay, so I, I, I feel like as if um, the members in those particular political parties have severed so badly the ties that would be, I mean, they've played the game so much that they it's not funny anymore. 
I, I don't know if I'm making myself clear. So someone plays politics to the point that uh, life is at stake and they still think it's funny. That I think the, they've really severed those ties. Now we're, we're getting disconnected. I think we are getting to the point where we are not connected anymore. We don't want to hear what they have to say because they are told to say that. I mean, they don't have, they don't separate the game from what the reality is. And I feel like as if so many of us who've met that blockage. Uh, I'll give you an example. We used to have a space. We do, and we do have a space. It's a space that I do attend every Wednesday and every Sunday. And we invite a few of those members to come over. And we would be addressing an issue. And you can almost listen to this person. And you know this person is disconnected to reality. Like they're, they're in a different world. They, they are talking about Uganda like Uganda is the United States of America. And I'm like, why? What, what is your problem? Can't you see that your neighbor is being tortured? Can't you see that we're dying? Can't you see that freedom of speeches, liberties are taken away? Can't you see our country is really at stake? And they don't see it. I feel like most of them have severed those ties. And it's so hard to get a person who really does believe in DP to come and uh, defend it, believe in the NRA and come defend it, believe in FDC. They don't even know what they do believe in themselves. But we do know what we want, the Chinsikin people. But people who are there already, they are playing the game so hard, so much, that they are disconnecting their reality from the political game. That is my opinion. I mean, I, right. anybody can come up with something. All right, Tritibad, thank you very much. Yes, Debbie, you had something to say, Debbie. Uh, yes, uh, thank you so much again for organizing the forum and thank you for all the listeners. Thank you for those who have uh, discussed. And uh, I just also wanted to uh, reinforce what some of you have discussed. Uh, the fact that uh, one of the reasons why the regime is torturing Ugandans who are even trying to be supportive and, uh, you know, trying to work along with the with the peaceful transition of power is because of these things that we are discussing about. So these things are very, very powerful. These things are very paramount. Had they not had any e impact, why do you think uh, Bobby Wine supporters are being tortured to death? Just because they are mobilizing, they are talking to people in the villages. These are people who don't get a chance to come anywhere near any Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. They don't have access. Those people in the villages, they don't even have a radio. Most of them don't even have radios. They don't have TVs. So not until this these people that go down there in those places take the message and interact and educate these people that's how the message gets to them and that's why they torture because they want them to fear and also silence anybody who might that they can also join in the process of educating the masses and just encouraging them and we don't want to take bobby wine's songs for granted most ugandans connect with music more than anything if you know that the, the culture of Uganda is dancing and singing, do you see how happy they get when Bobby Wine sings? Everybody takes that message as it is from Bobby Wine. And anything Bobby Wine puts in a song, it is as powerful as anything you can ever imagine. And that's why he's not allowed to perform. He's not allowed to sing. Because if that was not the case, why do you think Bobby Wine is not allowed on the stage? Because the songs were really opening people's eyes, were connecting people to the realities of their problems and what they need to do through those songs. He was enlightening Ugandans to know their rights and also to stand by their rights, to gain confidence in whatever they can do as a person. And also to understand that the circumstances under which they live are not normal. It's not right. 
because the best. So, so Debbie, Debbie, uh, slow. Uh, so, well, what would you say about the people who have already said that you guys are just singing, you guys are just there online, keyboard warriors, full time, uh, you know, full time abusers, and you guys are just, you know, when he sings, they say, oh, your music won't do anything. I when, know. you know, <laughs> <laughs> like literally, well, most, people said, most people have literally said that you know he has not done anything you know almost yes. saying and so, do you know why do you know why they are saying that it's just the same as what they are doing by rejecting him to stand on the stage if i told bobby wine song had no impact why is he not allowed to sing like he used to why is he not allowed to to carry on with his concerts and keep singing and singing and you see the crowds that come after him do you think that is good for anybody else I mean, in terms of political parties, the rivals, NRMs and all that. They don't like that because this is powerful. This is a message. And for, for them to come out and say it doesn't do anything because they want to discourage people. They want to even try to think that by saying that, maybe Bobby Wine will be demoralized and all the other artists who might come up with such so songs might also be demoralized and they might not even want to try. So each time they come up and say, no, it's not doing anything, you know it's really working. You know that it is hurting them. And they cannot come up with anything like that. Why do you see that uh, the regime always hires musicians during that time of our campaigns to compose songs for them, to sing for them? Why is that? Because music is powerful. It carries a message that Bobby White does not have any way that he can go all over Uganda village to village to reach to anybody to share that message. But the songs can be shared on WhatsApp, on YouTube, on voicemail. Anybody in, in that language, they can understand. And many people speak Luganda, even those who are non-Bagandas. They have learned Luganda, and nobody will listen to Bobby Wine's song and remain the same. Nobody. So I'm just telling you that don't be discouraged. Keep listening to those songs. If you can make up a song, please do. And if you can do anything small, big, do it. Don't undermine anything. That is mobilization. That is empowerment. That is encouraging. That is educative. Ugandans need information. Ugandans need to be encouraged. Like somebody said that Ugandans are like a woman that has been abused for many years and has lost all the esteem and has no voice, cannot even stand for herself, feels like, well, let's just wait and die. Let's just wait until this man dies. What can we do? All Have right, you heard him say that? Yeah. So they are saying, let's just wait until this man dies because we, we really can't do anything. We are doing a lot by doing these things approaching the western uh, world speaking to them all those demonstrations mean a lot can you imagine if ugandans had literally just kept quiet and did nothing do you know how bad things could be this is bad but it could be really worse but at least right now they are they are they, they, they are tearing everything down because it is it it's making an impact and more so i just wanted to clarify that today uh the the loop said that um uh, some other MPs had signed right after the list was released. <laughs> so actually, so we have 86 members that actually signed against at least by that time. So we are hoping that hopefully by tomorrow we will have more signatures. But it's also evident that some people could be really fearful to put their signatures on this because they think the regime might go after them. And then also uh, for those who haven't done it, Maybe some of them are just not able to access the list yet to sign. People could be up country and all that and just make that trip to come to airport might also be a challenge. So we want to give everybody a benefit of doubt, hopefully. But of course, it is obvious that 
uh, the ruling party that is really concentrating on torture and all that, has not made any efforts even just to pretend to put one signature in there against torture. So what I'm suggesting is, after the list is all done, I think we should submit it for sanctions for those who did not sign. <laughs> Thank All right, thank you. Thank you very much for the presentation. Yes, Ivan. Ivan, uh, NUP Ivan, uh, not Ivan Bruce, but NUP Ivan, if you're still there. Hey, to my fellow Ugandans. Yes. My anger, Fazil. Indeed, I would like to take this opportunity. Thanks for the great opportunity given. Yeah, let me first apologize by the way I've been late with some. Difficult, but I managed to make it. King Asad, hey, Lengedeko, my MP, hey. Mm. So, by the way, for me, to me, let me first tackle the issue of the, as in uh, most of the youths, Ugandan youths have not embraced Twitter. By the way, I was somewhere there in our WhatsApp group, so I was like advocating for Twitter. You know what these guys do? They said, oh my God, Twitter, Twitter takes a lot of data. It, uh, it, it accumulates a lot of data. I told them, my friend, this is all about an awareness. It's the same issue. All, all, of, all of it is all about the social media. The, the, the same data you do take on Facebook, WhatsApp, and so I think it's the same. They said, no, my friend, with Twitter, it's the same as YouTube. It, it, it accumulates data just after a while. So that essence of not knowing something, it's eating us mostly. We youths who are down there, because for me, I speak as one of them. For us, we are out there always thinking that, you know what? And sometimes we are driven by force and mouse. What do you think should be the solution to have more Ugandans? Um, um, because I don't think Twitter takes so much more than Facebook. For, for, for them, that's what they know for zeal. I, I would like to, 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 to employ you and you, you, you try it out. You will get the same. Do you, you think? Do you think Twitter? Now, for example, me personally, I'm not good at tweeting. Like writing a tweet, <laughs> a tweet is quite hard for me because I might be too wordy. But at least I know that I can speak. And do you think that maybe um, you, you, these people might be intimidated with tweet by Twitter in terms of how it operates? Do you think that's uh, an issue? For me, I think so. Maybe, and and due to those myths, like and false beliefs, that you know what. Because you remember in my country, eh, as Uganda, when somebody comes out with a myth, for them, they take it as a, a reality. You know, by those days when they said, by, when we don't close off like this, Kakalavanda, Kajabagila. So those, those false whatever information always have been killing us. So I think we need civic education. We need to go. I don't know. I don't know how we're going to make it. And these people are from the cities, by the way. Somebody making such a, a submission around the city. Well, no, well, uh, uh, I don't know what's wrong, but what okay. we, know, we, we have yeah. not to lose hope. We mm. shall keep on pushing. We shall keep on advocating for people to don't treat. I would like to to to, to thank Ingasad. Ingasad has managed it. When you look at the numbers and the numbers before on Twitter as the Ugandan, at least you can uphold it. You can at least appreciate King Asad. Out of Uganda, most our our girls down there who are working indoors, you remember for them, they are always inside. So due to Asadi's advocacy and making some good physical, physical education, you know what? So they managed to join. But suddenly, after joining and they are dropping from serious conversation like this, you just find them out of there. I don't know what's wrong with Ugandans. 
some uh, food. Join... They will come around. They will come around. Uh, oh. They might not be. They might not be active on Twitter, but they might be active on Facebook. And also, what I've seen is that most Ugandans might not be active on on either platforms, but they might be active on uh, WhatsApp, sharing videos, mm -hmm. cutting videos, editing, and doing all these sorts of stuff. Some might even be good at you know reading articles and sharing them. Like that's what I've seen. You know, at least for the time I've been online, on how people having different behaviors, especially yeah, yeah, yeah. With, with the abundance of all these social media platforms. You know, it, it has different, it has, I mean, the behaviors are quite interesting. I, Ivan, thank you very much for that wonderful contribution. Okay. Let me go to Mr. Ejobi Patrick, uh, since he's a newcomer. Let me just give the new guy, the new people, a chance, an opportunity, and then I'll go to uh, you guys, the regulars. Yes, Mr. Ejobi Patrick, then I'll have Chukozi, then I'll have Asad, I'll have Ivan Bruce, and lastly, I'll have Zebube. Yes, Mr. Ejobi Patrick. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Mayanja. Um, this is the second time I'm attending your platforms, and uh, I thought I should contribute, especially after. Uh, Debbie, Debbie made her contribution. Um, you mentioned something that uh, won't they say that you guys are just making music and that is it, just music, and uh, there will be no social change. I'd like to to quote. Uh, there is uh, an American writer called Amir Baraka. He said he's quoted to have said the writer's role. I mean, the artist's role is to raise the consciousness of the people, to make them understand life the world and themselves more completely. So I don't think we should downplay uh, the role of the artists because through their craft, they can. we've seen them create social change uh, in different parts of the world. And then uh, uh, the, the other thing is uh, social media and, uh, and uh, its impact and uh, why are Ugandans not joining social media. I think we've started uh, the number of Ugandans getting onto social media uh, spiked, especially during the lockdown. And uh, Twitter is turning out to be more effective. Why? Because we can directly um, find these leaders, you know. Unlike Facebook, on Twitter, we can, I can directly find um, my member of parliament. I can, I can is directly get to know what his opinion is on certain things. So uh, when I tweet uh, or respond to some of uh, the things that he posts, um, it directly reaches him. So that's, and it's felt they are really feeling um, the impact of the Ugandans out there. And then, uh, two, uh, someone someone mentioned, should we invite them onto such platforms and then hold them accountable or counter them? Yes, I would also support that. Why? Because uh, I think right now through these spaces, this is the only place we can directly talk to these people. Uh, to these leaders, these people who create policies that directly affect our lives. And, uh, okay. So I would also support that. But then also, uh, I would really love to hear from Monserico uh, and also hear how is he going to make sure that this policy is not used by the government in the wrong way. Because we've seen how the public uh, order management bill, was it, uh, was brought in and then uh, it took away the right of the people to protest against uh, certain things, which was ideally constitutional right. Yeah. Hmm. So, like, you would really want to hear from what Mr. Anselko has to say. Like, for example, he has had, like, uh, I think six talks. Because what you mentioned is really interesting. Because the fact that uh, platforms like this and also uh, tools like Twitter Spaces where people come and speak live, 
and also tools like Facebook Live as well as Periscope and YouTube Live videos. I think they are quite interesting because since they are not number one because I've seen your filmmaker, they're not scripted. The way people, uh, you know, <clears throat> present themselves on these platforms is completely different on how they present themselves on TV and how they present themselves in their tweets as well as their Facebook posts. I've seen that quite interesting. Because when you hear Mr. Mao today, I don't know if you were on his space with the journalist Remy Bahati, he said, like the things he mentioned, I was even, <laughs> I was even fascinated. Like that issue that he mentioned about death in numbers and the issue of Pilau, I won't mention here, but I was very fascinated to hear Mr. Mao, you know, <laughs> speaking in that particular tongue. So I, I, I could sense it that it is because of the platform that he was speaking from and that he would make such a, a statement. I also had a statement that he was talking about a mochara attendant. I was like, okay, now the, the conversation is literally getting interesting. And these are not things that you could literally hear him speak on the front line or these other platforms. But Ajay, Patrick, thank you very much for that. Yes, Chukozi. Uh, hello. Yes, hello. Yes, yes. Uh, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. This is the first time I'm um, submitting. My problem would be, uh, I've heard about uh, the people talking about uh, inviting uh, NRM uh, supporters or the ministers or cadres or whoever they are, so that we can engage with them. The problem with that is uh, this would have been okay, let's say in the US, where there, were, there are no murders, there is no tortures, there's no... For, uh, forced imprisonment and all that stuff that's going on. When you introduce trauma into a situation, when you introduce violence into a situation where talks are actually what's better and you introduce violence, it shows that you are not a person to be uh, negotiated with. You're not a person to be reasoned with. You already show what you're willing to do. So it makes it hard for people to sit down and talk with you. This is why Ugandans, Ugandans reject sitting down with NRM. And that is why you see, when you see them on social media, lashing out of these people, they're not lashing out because they hate them. They're lashing out because they're angry. These people are condoning what's happening to them. And they're trying to rationalize it. And they're trying to give reasons as to why it's happening. You know, and trauma is a very powerful thing, very powerful thing. These are things that lead to uh, genocide, okay? When you move to suppress things like Twitter outlets where people can let their frustrations out and you suppress and you make laws to suppress them while you oppress them, this is what leads to genocides and civil war. You can look at places like uh, uh, Freetown, uh, uh, Rwanda, our neighbor. You see what's happening in Congo. When you start suppressing people's voices, the next best thing will be for people to pick up machetes. Especially with the way these ministers are driving this tribal card. Not everybody is educated as we are. We've been fortunate to travel around and learn these things. A lot of people move with their feelings. Mm. Okay? When I see you, when I see you, look at it this way. Imagine this was a meeting in the hall. And I came up to you and I started fighting you. And then right after I turned to the audience, these guys that are in this meeting right now, and I told them, listen, uh, I did what I did, but I can explain my position. I want to talk. Would, would anyone want to listen to me? No. They would want to come after me. This is the reason why court, courts are even, uh, every society has a court, because once, you, once you're arrested, the court doesn't want to hear your reasons. 
They want to know why you did what you did. Why? Because they hold you on principle. Principle says you don't hurt people. If it's an argument, you can argue it out and everybody goes their way. But when I pick up a knife and I stab somebody, I can then turn around and they want to talk, talk about it. Right. So, Mr. Kozi, uh, just hold on there. Yeah. Yeah. So I have Yulian here. She's one of the people that proposed this particular issue. Yeah. So she wanted to listen to your arguments and have a conversation about it. Yeah. Hello? Yes. It's Juliana. Juliana. <laughs> Juliana with the Y. Everyone keeps on calling me Julian. It's Juliana. So um, I, would, I, th I think I should put the Julia. We are used to Juliana. Juliana. So um what I wanted to say, what I wanted to say was that um, I hear what he's trying to say, but think about what's just happened in the last two weeks with uh, Mao and in the last few months, Muhozi. These people had a semblance of civility. Everybody believed them to be um, sort of uh, well-groomed, excellent orators, etc. Yes. Nothing has exposed these people as... Yes. As, as brilliantly as social media. Oh, Let them speak, because by speaking, they expose themselves, they undress themselves publicly, and then we can go in and actually address them. I think it's so important because, see, if they keep silent, we don't actually know, and the general public doesn't know exactly what these people are, meaning they're not as smart as they, everybody, as the image they've cultivated. They're not so polished. Mohozi, you've all followed what Mohozi has been tweeting the last few months, and it's brilliant, and I think you should carry on doing it because you know why? It exposes him for what he is. He's a tribalist. He's not particularly smart, et cetera, et cetera. So if, um, I'm for freedom of speech in all its forms. And part of that is letting these people talk, allowing them to have a platform, because that's the only way we can engage them. And it's the only way we can expose them. And then once they're exposed, they lose the credibility because by keeping silent, you know, by keeping silent, we sort of believe that they're civilized. By letting them talk, it allows us as Ugandans to kind of finally, finally, address them and deal with them, get them out of the way because a lot of them are obstacles. If Mao hadn't said the stuff that he'd said, a lot of people would still continue respecting him. But if a man who is um, there trying to be become a leader starts talking about, I don't know, Pilawo and, and kitchen <laughs> utensils and all of this, it exposes his a primitive lack of statesmanship and it and then we don't and then the job is done you don't have to do much more right. because he literally does the work for you okay my my i i just to clarify a little bit i was not suggesting that a platform be taken from them what i was saying is the sitting down and talking them talking the way they talk right now it's not because they are choosing to it's because of the pressure that people are putting on them and this is good Right. And this goes back to my part where I was saying that uh, when we allow people like Nseleko to suppress voices, right, and passing these bills, it means the pressure that these people are under because it's the pressure that is making them do what they're doing. Right. And when people are threatened not to go back to their, to their uh, pages and engage them, like you said, then it's easy for them to, to be, to 
put up these same images like they have been doing, right? And on the other part of, uh, again, suppressing the voice uh, with Mao and all these leaders, whatever they do, my biggest concern is the people, actually. I, I don't really care about these guys and how they feel, but the trauma that people are going through, I'm very worried because I don't know if you guys take, uh, have ever followed genocides and how they start. This is these are the beginnings of uh, of, of civil wars and genocides. You know when they start, uh, when they start pushing laws like this, you know, and suppressing suppressing voices while they're oppressing people. This is what starts genocides, and it, to me, I find it very, very, very scary. And it's more scary that that most of the so-called ministers that we have in parliament they, they don't give a damn about this stuff. Like right now, they're debating a Twitter, a law that allows people to what what people can and cannot say on uh, on a social media platform, and they're neglecting the people, the trauma victims that have gone through torture and what they're thinking. What they're thinking. Don't be surprised one time when the people get into a gang and they start going around uh, using machetes on police officers. This is what starts these things. It might look light. I know Ugandans, we've seen as weak. That's what, I mean, judging from what Museveni and his son keep saying and all these other people, they make it look like we're weak in, in a nation where there's men. No man likes to be called weak, especially after you've been stepping on his neck. Trust me, that dude's, that dude's going to get up and get you, whether right. now or tomorrow. So we have to be very careful. That is why my I, my... I'm really urging everybody to really, 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 really fight against this law. We cannot afford to have these people suppress people's voices. Okay? It might get worse from here. This is how it starts. Thank you for giving me some time. Cheers. Uh, cheers, Mr. Chokozi. Thank you very much. Yes, Asad, uh, Ben Jaffa. All right. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Mayanja. Uh, is my, my voice allowed into it? Yes, you're allowed, but you're, you speak so fast at times people don't get what you're saying. So if you could speak oh. in this... <laughs> you have all, you yeah. have all the time. So just speak yeah, in this I know. You yeah, have sorry about that. I know. Yeah, because I do... Um, um, sorry, I have to apologize ahead of time because I speak eight languages. So And English was my last one. So sometimes, uh, you know, it's very hard to uh, go through it uh, at the same time uh, thinking in like multiple languages. Um, yes, thank you for uh, bringing up uh, this uh, topic about uh, uh, social media. And, uh, you know, and uh, at the same time, like, you know, uh, you know the, the torture, you know, going on in, uh, in, in Africa, uh, especially in a place like in, uh, in, uh, in Uganda. Uh, social media, I think we have to look at it in uh, two ways. One is it's a very good uh, tool in terms of, uh, you know, uh, liberating, uh, you know, our people. At the same time, it is as dangerous as it can be. Uh, we can use an example of like, you know, the uh, the time when, uh, you know, you know, fire was uh, discovered. Of course, it was good, you know, in terms of like, you know, uh, you know, back, you know, at the, at the time when it was found, you know, for, uh, you know, now you can cook food. You don't have to eat raw food. You can use it in, in a place where you're cold, you know, in order to warm up uh, your body. So it was like, you know, it, looked at as like as a you know like an evolution it's the same as with like uh, uh social media and on the other hand 
you know, fire, you know, also began, you know, burning even in the place where you live. So that's the same way with like a social media, that it is a very good tool for those who know how to use it. And it can easily become very, very dangerous if it ends up in the wrong hands and not knowing how to use it. And this is the issue that we are seeing in like in places like in, uh, in Uganda. We have so many people with actually, let me begin from the very top. You have like, you know, uh, NUP uh, as the uh, the leading party in terms of, uh, you know, uh, for uh, looking for Africa. And then below that, you have the common Ugandans who also want to see change in Uganda and they're active on social media. But however, from uh, the, the, the very top, NUP controls the social media. But what, the moment you go to a common Ugandan, the social media controls a common Ugandan. So it's not the Ugandans, a common Ugandan who is in control of social media. Social media is in control of their own, uh, you know, their, their own lives. You know, they, you know, on a daily basis, everybody must wake up and try to find, you know, some, it's, it has become psychologically attached to the minds of Ugandans. And this, when you are the person who is in control, and you cannot control the people who are below that are controlled by social media, then it becomes uh, it, it becomes a disaster. Because what ends up happening psychologically, everybody is now like if you were to go across like the entire country in Uganda, anybody who is like on social media is somehow somewhere there, some you know, being affected, you know, uh, psychologically by uh, social media. And when you have that number of people having the ammunition. I'm, I'm calling it the ammunition because it's a, it, now social media is like it's a it, it has become like a weapon having a weapon in their own hands with you know loaded unlimited bullets and yet shooting in the air then it becomes ineffective like it becomes totally ineffective that you know even if you were to have like you know a critical moment or a critical situation in such a place whereby social media you know as the weapon is actually being misguided and misused then you end up having to you know like you know burying it actually like burying like you know the real information that should actually be at the very top and then at the same time anything that's you know has become like you know too useless uh, propaganda anything that's like you know brings diversions that he quickly picks up this is only because the very uh the very uh top you know being like you know the parent you know in programming we call it like you usually have like a parent you have a child and then you have a branch so when you have a parent at the very top uh you know knowing that they have the root access in order to control and uh, and 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 actually you know you know uh, change the the direction of the information and change the mindset of the social media not taking it very serious then you have like you know it's it's just like you know a wild way of uh, sharing information and uh, distributing information and this is the issue that we're seeing in Uganda. So when I came out uh, over, I think it's almost going to be like a year and a half, we had to like look at, you know, things like, you know, how far are we when it comes to Ugandans in the level, you know, at the level of understanding technology and how can we, you know, make it, you know, very fast to try to at least improve, you know, uh, you know, you know, try to switch sides, you know, how can Ugandans see the good side uh, on social media uh, other than just using it, you know, for waking up and sharing messages and sharing pictures and, and Rugambo and here and there. And then we began with tools like, you know, uh, yeah. Yeah, carry on, carry on. Yeah. So, so we looked at into things like, you know, how can we improve, like, you know, the usage of like, uh, you know, social media is like uh, uh, Twitter uh, to try to uh, kind of create like a, a balance whereby once you have a certain group of people catching up and knowing that, OK, there is another good side on social media, then this is, you know, this might end up like, you know, being some uh, somewhat uh, uh, beneficial. And I think 
the only way we can, I think uh, you you kept uh, pressing uh, and asking people that, you know, how, you know, how can we, you know, how, wh wh what is the solution to this and how can we become like, you know, maybe use social media uh, in, in a very uh, effective manner to try to create like uh, awareness. This, it's, it's, a, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a domino effect that starts, that should start from the very, very top, meaning that anyone whom we regard as somebody who is like an influential is somebody who is actually seen as, you know, somebody who can actually change the direction and the mindset psychologically they can easily even affect the mindset of the ugandans those are the people that should actually you know begin looking you know looking at themselves for example i have followers i have to be conscious you know what i share even on my own facebook page because i know you can easily share something thinking that you know to me it's only like you know my own thinking but at the same time those who get to see it you know a thousand two thousand three thousand four thousand five thousand people have now psychologically been affected by what i have just simply posted for example if we have like a twitter space going on uh, like here on afazidi manja you might be like having like a twitter space and it would go okay i have the right to go and post something else but when i go and say hey you know what uh my people uh let us go and uh, listen to Vasil Mayanja. He is live on a Twitter space and he is talking about this. This, you have taken away a group of people uh, from, uh, you know, a, a different, from a different position in their day to another position and they're actually able to, you know, listen and tune in and whatever. So what we need to encourage, it's not the Ugandans because the common Ugandan, they do not understand. It's not just the common Ugandan, it's everywhere. And this is how the governments are controlling the people. They're not controlling the people through, the, the, through themselves. They, they control the people from the people above. And this is why they use like influencers. This is why they use like musicians. This is why they use, you know, like those who are very at the very top. And this is something that we have not understood in Uganda, that the people who are actually above us in social media, they are the ones who are psychologically controlling those who are below because they wake up, they have a space on social media as an account, but they do not have a voice on social media. So they follow those who have a voices. So we ourselves, if we needed to see a change, if actually if we needed to even like change the government tomorrow by a way of using just like a social media it has to go from like the people who are sitting at the very top to actually make you know adjust the way we look at you know things like you know happening uh, you know and how we affect our people because psychologically if we did not get us actually this is why you're seeing the trending of psychologists around the around the world you know becoming more and more popular because you know really those are the people now uh, who are needed to continue assessing you know the situation going on in uh, in you know like you know within like the population uh, just one second i just have like maybe like 30 seconds so i think like honorable uh paul you know uh you know for being part of uh this uh and i think i didn't mention it like uh, a while ago about you know the uh, psychological ways you know uh that we need to look at you know uh you know that the fight you know uh if we need to see some changes happening in uganda and how we can improve it so i think that's all i have to say i'm not going to go into uh you know that just like you know it's uh, again another way the government is simply trying to uh you know overtake us and fight those who are uh, you know trying to improve the usage of uh, social media so just is for me there's no i have nothing uh, to say about uh, muhammad uh, and at the moment yeah thank you Fazil. all right guys uh, thank you very much uh Fazil Mayanja is my name i'm the host of this twitter space uh we uh we our goal is to do a twitter space every day so that we keep up with what is happening back home and so that we can give people a chance to air out their opinion on this particular matter uh tomorrow we shall be having another show sometimes seven to nine uh before i bring in the other guests uh, the topic uh has been brought in we are going to discuss about uh, the topic will be uh, is uganda being set up for a military coup uh the militarization of uganda 
this is uh, on the issue of why we on the issue of why is it that we are having a lot of military presence in every aspect of life in the country, uh, in the parliament, in the civil service, ministries, and so much of uh, the work is now being done by the military. So what are the what, what, what are the likely outcomes of such a situation? And why is it really dangerous to have a country like Uganda to be, to be run uh, by, uh, you know, by a military? Are we setting up the country into another military dictatorship? Uh, is the country safe in one way or the other? So we, tomorrow we shall be discussing the militarization of Uganda and its impacts on, on, on the future of our country at the same time. So Mr. Segwood and Mr. Ivan Bruce, I want to bring this conversation uh, as we wrap this up, the idea that we should give these people a platform, some of the people that we don't agree with. Uh, oh, okay. that, uh, I think I'll make one quick point, hello, my angel, and the uh, rest of the listeners, I don't know if they can hear me because I'm using a Bluetooth headset. Can you hear me fine? Yes, yes, we can hear you. Sure, so, I'd like to... Yeah, yeah I, I want us to wrap up, you know, with, with that sure. point, the idea that of, you're uh, inviting these people, yeah. Like fighting the... Okay, the idea that for the people we do not agree with, you know, some oh, people yeah, that yeah. you don't agree with, and then you but you, you do not agree with Norbert Mao or you don't agree with DP, but that doesn't mm-hmm. support you from having a discussion, especially as a supporter, and then you yeah. have a point of convergence, and then you see how it makes yeah. things better. Yeah, before I think it wait. was a... Before Yelena, you before, yeah, it's Yelena, Yelena, who I think it's a good point, and I think we do engage with these people. Maybe if he meant to engage the people at the top, or we, the people who maybe are in these social spaces and the people that want to issue the people below down here, we do engage with these people. And I think it's a good idea because I think uh, which if we do not engage with them, we would be missing a picture, which is the bigger picture is is the Uganda. We are all Ugandans. We have to be willing to listen to them. However, bear in mind that uh, we are dealing with, uh, on our level here, not uh, the people from the, uh, the top, we are dealing with people who are, some of them are paid by the regime. They are facilitated very well. On the other side, for we, who, who there would be a counterparts, we are the people who are doing uh, this kind of communication and uh, talking and interactions, like it's organic. It's uh, We feel it's upon us. We feel we have a responsibility to have our say in the matters running our country. On the other end, we have our fellows who are online to, to, to sing praises, sing no wrong, who are saying that everything is okay. So we are not against engaging with fellow Ugandans. Actually, they join this space, you know, they, for example, they do not uh, have to seek your permission uh, from Mayanja to join a, like, uh, to join a space. They can tune in and listen and they can maybe form other opinions. Maybe you can influence change and maybe you can impact and uh, change the way they are seeing things. Uh, on the issue of how the, the role of social media, most of the points have been made. We appreciate that social media would be uh, would be a powerful and formidable tool to combat torture. However, we shall see that more authoritarian governments we, we shall move to regulate on how the perpetrators are, the perpetrators of, of the perpetrators of the perpetrators of violence and torture, the way they can they could be they could move to legislate on the, and try to limit on how the the, the actors. The major actors say the policemen say the army men, uh, the way they the limit to which how to how far we can go to capture them uh, carrying out these acts. In actually a major challenge, even in uh, grand democracies. When I was in Paris doing during the times of when I was doing my master's before I moved to the to Brighton, I saw France trying to like she has been recent trying to move a law that's limiting the people say in a, a demonstration to record policemen in their line of duty. 
this was this is a first world country, a democratic state. Through their parliament, they have I think a senate. Uh, they were trying to move a law limiting how far you, the participant, uh, you cannot like record uh, an official, a police officer serving, you know, to come down the situation or something like that. So we shall see the same thing in uh, states like ours in, in Africa here in Uganda that they should they will move to limit how far we can go to capture these. Uh, Events happening and all that. Let's uh, also take note. The the they are talking media. The media being captured to use to to, to pin people perpetrators. Uh, we have infrastructure that that has been put in place uh, to capture maybe video clips, uh, CCTV cameras being installed. How many incidents have you tried to follow up, say crime scenes, when you cannot retrieve some of the videos that uh, some of the videos they are capturing the events that happened at a crime scene? Scene. Uh, I was also been following the story of yesterday. I've been trying to follow up and gathering up some information, catching, capture, catching up on the uh, on the story of Solomon in in, uh, in Smack. They could not retrieve the the recording around you know the Dumitri area to see who which people maybe uh, who were moving in and outside you know the the, the dormitories uh, during the normal hours. You know the recordings they could not re retrieve that. So uh, being in a, a state where we are, uh, it might be curtailed. To, uh, to, uh, up to the level of legislation uh, on to, to retrieve the necessary information maybe to bring, uh, to bring the perpetrators of torture to justice and you know to face the law and all that. Uh, I think I will hold on from there. And maybe to take a note, uh, we were, my angel, we are raising some, some, uh, some issues with uh, you know, being new to Twitter and the Twitter spaces. It looks like the Android application for um, Twitter it has some bugs. I don't know that you, I'm sure you're using uh, Twitter for Android. It has some yeah, bugs. Yeah, I'm using Android version, yes. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of buggy. It's better because it was first introduced to an Apple. So sometimes maybe if you could afford to have maybe a second device, sometimes it could help. Yeah. Uh, secondly, you may like, turn to, you may uh, team up with, uh, with your team with whom we organize, all are regular here, to have a co-host co always in that when you have a, a, a drop-in bandwidth, you know, when you disconnect, sometimes uh, when it were, when 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 the space was still available just on uh, on uh, on iOS, uh, uh, a space would end up. So in this case, when you have a co-host, uh, when you disconnect abruptly, the co-host automatically becomes the host. So the the maybe you get back and reconnect and all that kind of stuff, so that you don't uh, you 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 maintain the consistency and all that. You may look into that. If I have many other tips, I'll regard regarding to technology, tech tech being my. Uh, my background, maybe I can keep on uh, uh, throwing in tips here and there, but that's it for now. Thank you very much. So whoever can uh, can volunteer to co-host, you can tell me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it has to be heavy, having a steady internet connection, like to Krusty said. You can have actually two co-hosts, you know, the people you trust and, uh, uh, you know. All right, I'll look into it. With you. Yeah, sure. Okay. I'll, I'll get into your inbox, then we can talk more and see what we can do, if that's okay. Yes, Ivan. Ivan, what's uh, what's your take on the issues and the matter that we have been speaking about today? As we wind up, and then I'll have Juliana to say the last word. Uh, thank you, Mr. Fazil, for this opportunity. Can you, Am I loud and clear? Yes, sir, you are very loud and clear, sir. Okay. Uh, and uh, I, I thank everybody uh, for... Um, attending Twitter spaces because this is our uh, this is uh, some of the only voices we have um, to uh, to send across our uh, uh, our messages and our information um, 
Yeah, I agree with uh, all um, the previous um, uh, colleagues regarding uh, bringing in um, uh, those uh, people we disagree with uh, because uh, this, this is civil. Uh, it's good to be civil and uh, to have a civilized uh, uh, debates and discussions. Sometimes um, uh, it's not uh, good to only on one side, uh, one sided, uh, just um, to believe in um, uh, only with the like mind, like minded. It's good always um, uh, to have a good debate with uh, such people and to reason them. You know, it gives a, a clear picture. Actually, um, uh, the main point here is not we want to listen <laughs> to their rubbish or their crap, but. I think the main point here is um, to expose them more. <laughs> so me, I welcome uh, the idea of bringing these people on such uh, discussions like this, just with the name of reasoning them and uh, squeezing them and actually uh, uh, shaming them more, you know, just to prove to them that actually uh, they, are, they, 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 are, uh, they, they are not as smart as they think. So, yeah, it's a good idea. And I welcome that idea as well. Um, okay. Uh, on the on the issue, uh, lastly, on the issue of um, uh, social media, uh, mostly based uh, uh, to Ugandan um, Ugandan system, um, social media. What 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 what, Mr. Fazil have to know? Um, many uh, almost Ugandans, as long as you have a smartphone, you're a journalist. Nowadays, uh, you don't have you don't have to go uh, to do journalism in uh, university colleges. As long as you have a smartphone, you're a journalist. Um, these smartphones, um, seven. The reasons why um, seven and his son and his um, perpetrators. The reason why they are making all these mistakes every day, doing whatever they are doing, mostly nowadays, is because of the social media. It's because of the pressure. It's because of um, uh, uh, the, the the shame. And all what we've we've managed to expose their dirt and their uh, and their atrocities. So, um, uh, if the social media uh, was not as powerful, Museveni and these people they wouldn't be doing what they are still doing right now. But they are everywhere. They are buying all these other media platforms. It's because of the pressure of social media. People in, in, in Uganda, they don't they no longer watch TVs. Not only in Uganda, people in countries like developed countries, people no longer watch watch TV. TVs are actually losing the market, losing the value. And all that, it's because of the social media. So information on social media travels as quick as fast in a blink of an eye uh, uh, to, uh, to, to the people. Like in Uganda, we, social media by law, by the way, is not there. We don't have social media by law. You know, social media was banned in Uganda. And that takes me to, to another point of um, uh, Nsereko and uh, now that, that, the, uh, that uh, today, like the disciplinary committee that sat in the parliament wasting our taxpayers' money, you know, talking about social media, you know, in the first place, this is all a wastage of time. Because in Uganda, legally by law, social media is not there. It was banned. Everyone who is accessing social media in Uganda is actually breaking the law. You know, and all other institutions that are uh, institutions like the Uganda police, uh, the parliament, you know, all those bodies, you know, they are they are they are breaking the law by using social media to post their things. You know, even the, the deputy speaker of parliament, she actually breached and she broke the law by using Twitter because social media is not there. In you. OK, so um, Mr. Zake would have even 
actually um, he has to um, to charge them, you know, because they are breaking the law by using social media. So in the first place, um, that even bringing all this issue of social media uh, in the parliament and all that is just a wastage of time, you know. Um, so social media, um, as the people who own phones, as long as you have data, we show everything as it is. We show everything. We don't edit anything. So that's where the fear comes. That's why even during uh, the campaign trail, the campaign period, uh, whenever Museveni, Museveni's men, they were targeting people with phones, with mobile phones and cameras, you know? And that's one of the reasons why social media was banned in Uganda, you know? So social media is a very big tool. If you look at some of the um, many countries that had um, uh, a civil revolutions, you know, and uh, yeah, revolutions, it's because of the social media, you know, just Egypt, that revolution in Egypt, it was because of the social media, you know, this that is happening in Ethiopia, social media played a very big role, you know, Museveni um, uh, is known, Museveni has never been shamed, has never, made, has never been exposed before, you know, like it is today. And that is because of social media, you know, a lot of people, they didn't know who Museveni is and what Museveni was capable of, but it's because of social media. So as, as Ugandans, as I wind out, as, 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 as Ugandans, I think so far we are doing a great job. Everyone who does whatever they do to expose the regime of, of uh, dictator Museveni, just do what you have to do. We have the numbers, so the more we are, the more, we, the, the more um, uh, platforms we have, the better for us. Okay, so submission. Thank, thank you for the yes, opportunity. Uh, yes, Mr. Mugabe, I just fixed you in there. Uh, just uh, briefly, you, you have a few minutes uh, before I go back to Juliana and then we wind the show down. Yes, Mugabe. Uh, all right. Thank you very much, Fazil. Uh, I'm more actually very, very much touched by the by the by the framing of the topic because it really brings us to to appreciate the role, the value, and the importance of social media. And I think that cannot be underestimated. It can't be underrated. And of course, it shouldn't be overlooked. Uh, because I think in the current context, we need to increasingly accept the rapidly changing landscape of civic spaces. And I think without social media, I think the world would be much, much probably worse of place to be. Uh, we, we, we must agree. I mean, most of us were growing up from childhood, <laughs> Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, among others. Uh, I mean, the Chinese have their own platform. Most of these were not there, but apparently these are there. So they really play a big role. And like probably the, the other speakers have already alluded to the fact that uh, it, it, social media is internet driven. And one thing we know about internet, it can be accessed by anyone, uh, whether you are short or tall, male or female, uh, black or white, European, African, it can be accessed by anyone. As long as you have a device and as long as you have internet, you can access it. So it can be accessed by anyone from anywhere. And I think that's the other angle. So you can access it from your bed, from the bathroom, from the taxi, uh, on the street. So you, you, as long as you are able to access your phone so from anywhere, and as long as it's, the, the phone is in your hand. So it can be accessed by anyone from anywhere, but more important, at any time. Uh, you know, uh, we are now probably it's beyond past midnight. Some people are sleeping. 
but you know so it, it has no limit if we are looking at conventional newspapers you have to wait in the morning we have to wait until when they update their pages and upload maybe even the e-paper so social media i think it has one key role that anything which happens can be transmitted in just a blink of an eye in just a matter of seconds and it can be transmitted by anyone from anywhere so, and that can yeah, be done at yeah, any time so i think that's Ivan, uh, now with, with, with such capabilities, how can it be harnessed uh, to improve combating yeah. torture, to, him, <coughs> to improve combating torture, uh, to improve, um, uh, you know, authoritarianism, dictatorships, and all this kind of, other, not improving, but combating exactly. authoritarianism. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think that's what I wanted to conclude with. Uh, given the fact that social media plays such a fundamental role, then it makes it very easy uh, that, you know, at any particular point, uh, anyone who is a victim or anyone who is vulnerable can make the audio or the footages or the, or, or the, 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 the information accessible. So there is an element of accessibility. There is an element that at least it can be, it's more affordable that everyone can have access to, to this information. So if, for example, someone has been a victim of any form of abuse or violence or inhuman or degrading treatment or, you know, I mean, in the, when we talk about torture, we use all those, those different languages in, in, the, in the legal landscape. Uh, but I think social media is one of those powerful tools whereby you can take a photograph, you can take a video footage, and then you immediately make it be viewed. You just look at a video and you're like, this has been viewed by several, I mean, can I, examples. Can I, uh, I, I just read your profile there and I see you're a lawyer. Do you think yes. that uh, evidence that is on, because how does, because regulation of social media is very, you know, is, has been a bit hard for most of the governments around the world. Do you think that uh, evidence, like information on social media can be used as evidence in courts of law or in regulation and things of that sort? For example, if someone write, write, wrote a post or a okay, video. I, 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 just just uh, give oh, us. Uh, thank, thank you for that observation, Fazil. In as far as, Admissibility, well, the question goes back to what we call admissibility of, of evidence, which is a whole lot of talk in uh, whether and to what extent is that evidence admissible? Is it even admissible? Those are probably two different aspects. But I think uh, by and large, that evidence, uh, courts may be reluctant to take it. But the fact that a photograph has been taken and that photo, I, I recently liked that um, investigative journalism footage documentary done by Solomon. Very interesting and fascinating. And it was the opening new boundaries. Now, as to whether or not courts have accepted that evidence, it, it always forms a foundation for investigation. It always creates pressure for where there is need for action. There are many things which wouldn't be an, an issue of uh, discussion on, on, on probably international debates if it wasn't for social media. So first of all, the, the, the courts have a role to play, but the, the issues which, to, which the courts deal with are within a particular political social economic scape. So the moment a video is out and international stakeholders have seen it and, uh, and different parties have seen probably that someone was badly beaten, brutalized, it becomes quite evident that you cannot no longer cover it and it becomes increasingly inevitable that the courts have to pick interest in it. But if that video is not there, and if there is no evidence of it completely, it's rather difficult to convince. So the power of photography, the power of video coverage is actually amplified, but not only amplified, but also strongly illustrated through social media because it, it transmits, it disseminates information. You know, so I think that is something which is increasingly, increasingly valuable through social media. I wouldn't know what has happened at a certain place where there has been an ongoing uh, election campaign. 
but uh, I would be in the office. But uh, while I'm there and I'm looking at my Twitter, I'll be able to know that, well, wait a minute, what was this person doing? Why was he beating this woman? I mean, we, uh, well, even if he was effecting arrest, was this is this the lawful way to arrest this particular person? Isn't this use of excessive force? So such questions can be asked, and I can clearly say, well, wait a minute, look at the body part being targeted. These are some of the guiding principles when we're determining whether someone has used excessive force or not. So the video footages will bring a very clear, clear, because someone will not say, well, it wasn't me beating that person. Someone will not say, well, I, I was not identified. Because if a video... Even, like clear, if you, you are following the George Floyd case, actually, they had to use that video that actually posted online and, you know, something true, like that. True, So social media really... I would like it, to have your last word on the issue of you being Ugandan, of course. Like, I would like to have yeah. your last word on what people have been proposing here in the past on the space that uh, for the people that we don't agree with you need to be able to find means on how we can speak or talk to them or listen to them in one way or the other like you know listen to them mm. you know for, 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 for. some people say that the more they speak the more they talk you know the more they expose themselves like you know uh, like for people you do not agree with you know they might have mm. ideas that you don't agree with and all this kind of stuff what do you think about well, uh, that, that takes me to another aspect, which I think I was recently, someone who had a, was discussing about limiting, oh, they, that was uh, in uh, the council, Semakade, recently, he was giving a talk on, uh, uh, I think, on the issue of uh, limiting freedom of uh, liberty, liberty of, and freedom of speech. Uh, I, I, I would say that I think what is very key is that in as much as social media is there, we must ensure that there are safety mechanisms. Institutional, institutional actors should not eventually you know, use it as a platform maybe to blacklist or target in videos because of their opinions. Uh, and I think there must be protective mechanisms. Even I don't think it should be there, there should be justification to silence people's opinions or actually treat them differently because they believe from they have different differential ideological perspectives or political uh, uh, ideological views from you, but I, I also acknowledge that social media clearly creates that divide because you you know through social media people will be able to listen to you, uh, but not, not only social media but even what you wrote, you will write on Twitter, what you write on Facebook, and there's a problem. This person is on opposition. This person is on, and and, and I think that should not really it shouldn't create that divide. But we need to admit that in, in these seemingly small or emerging democracies. You know, social media can be a cause of that friction and to make certain people reluctant or even a little bit uh, unwilling or hesitant to clearly come out and speak or even express their opinions on social media, especially where they are feeling uncomfortable, worried or feeling vulnerable. So I think we need to reach a point. I don't know when we shall reach there. It's not a question of whether, but it's a question of when, whereby people are free to say what they want without feeling uncomfortable, scared or threatened. Or, you know, Because I'm seeing that it does happen in, in, in stronger democracies where people can clearly disagree and tomorrow they are able still to be able to sit in the same, on the same round table. But I think in our, in, in our, in our developing countries, that is still sadly and unfortunately large. And yet we need it. Well, thank you very much, uh, Ivan. Yes, uh, funny you, uh, funny. If you're there, I'm gonna give you just uh, three minutes or five minutes, okay, to have your say, and then um, yeah, I'm here. yeah, I'm here, bro. Uh, evening, everyone. Um, uh, I'm funny, my I'm from South Africa, so if you can look. Uh, closely at my profile, maybe 40% of the people I'm following are from Uganda, Zimbabwe and stuff. So, uh, following um, a lot of um, 
following a lot of uh, Ugandan uh, current affairs, so obviously I was attracted by Bobby Wine. I followed everyone of and, and everyone around. So one thing I do not understand it's how the the relationship between the government and the uh, and the citizens is there any relationship or maybe the government is doing by its own and uh, even the citizens are just living by their own means because uh, it's different this side in South Africa at times if the government uh, goes a, a very very long and wrong way even our police uh, mind you our police are our fathers our brothers our sisters they have to side by us and get what we demand or else are, are we gonna go to the street uh, pretend it's as if everything is okay and then come back to the same households later when you knock off as a soldier or maybe as a policeman or woman understand so one thing is that uh, we have mastered is that uh, we we are able to work together with the um, law enforcement and stuff uh, if maybe you can look at the july uh, unrest which uh, was uh, last year last year in july there was unrest here in south africa that thing is uh, it was caused by the arrest of the former president uh, jacob zuma uh, 